You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 302nd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 959th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of August 3rd, 2023. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred on Wednesday when a couple of notable IU recruiting targets officially trimmed their lists with Indiana landing on the right side of the cut. Jaden Mustaf, a lead guard with a game similar to Xavier Johnson's, and Tyler Betsy, a lengthy wing with a proven outside shot, both included Indiana among their final group of schools. While the news is far from earth-shattering, given that each has taken an official visit to Bloomington and Indiana was assumed to be in their top mix of schools, it's still good to see the positive momentum with the Class of 24 continuing step-by-step. Betsy even told Rob Cassidy of Rivals that his visit to Bloomington, quote, or said this about his visit to Bloomington, quote, the visit was great. I would honestly say it was my best visit so far, unquote, which is quite an encouraging comment given that his top schools include Duke, Alabama, Villanova, and defending champ UConn. These list cuts come on the heels of uh, two of Indiana's top targets, five-star Montverde teammates Liam McNeely and Derek Queen, announcing that they will be taking their senior year official visits to Bloomington together in September. And Indiana also seems to remain in a strong position with its top guard target, Boogie Fland. As expected, the wide net of top 50 prospects in the class of 2024 that Indiana cast is now starting to narrow as summer moves into fall. Possibility and potential will quickly give way to the cold, hard reality of who ends up actually committing and who doesn't. If Indiana can get any combination of the aforementioned names, Mike Woodson will almost surely book his first consensus top 10 class, maybe even top five. All right, now let me introduce my co-host for this week's show. It's going to be a full crew. Andy will be here. Uh, He's not here yet, but he will be here. Uh, His daughter got asked to stay after to play for the varsity team uh, tonight, which is awesome. Good job, Hannah. Uh, But Andy will be joining us here in a little bit. Uh, But first, he is a longtime high school basketball coach in the state of Indiana, one of the world's other most renowned bracketologists, in addition to Andy, uh, and a man who knows how to celebrate an epic win over your rival. That's right. It is the coach. He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach and it's Tonsoni time. Coach, it is Tonsoni time. What's on your mind this evening? You know, uh, not a whole lot Indiana-wise, other than the recruiting news that you mentioned uh, in the banner moment, always good to be on the right side of the list as opposed to the wrong side of the list. Uh, school starting around uh, the state of Indiana, at least at the high school level. I'll be back to work on Monday. Uh, probably should have been back to work earlier, but uh, I'll be back to work. And that means we're getting closer to uh, 
to basketball season. I know we have football coming, uh, and the reports uh, are coming out about the Indiana football program. We wish them nothing but the best, but it means we're closer to basketball. Last week's show, we talked about Anthony Walker finally getting to campus after taking care of some of his summer school uh, needs uh, and that they can finally work. And then I realized that the last uh, practice of the summer was like two days after he got there. So you got, what, two or three days with the, with the full complement uh, of, of the team. And I think I'm just going to hold out to see if we're going to add somebody. You know, there, there's some talk about people coming in and this person and that person for a little wing depth. That's the big question yet to be answered going into next year. But looking forward to this year's basketball, can't get here soon enough. And also here with us, he is a senior writer for The Big Lead, a self-proclaimed shot doctor, still looking for patience, and your go-to source for pitch-by-pitch coverage of the NL West's fourth-place team. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. Which, to be fair, is better than being the AL Central's most disappointing team, so it's okay. Uh, Ryan, what is your rant this week? And Major League Baseball's second most disappointing team <laughs> behind the Mets, their uh, yeah. White Sox boy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think, and we're going to start our discussion probably off with this, so I'll just talk about it. I wrote a piece today about um, the uh, Big Ten's further expansion, which appears imminent. Uh, they it looks like they're going to, you know, attempt to pick off. Uh, the remaining dying limbs of the Pac-12, if they can. Um, they were given the green light to investigate Washington and Oregon for membership. Um, I wrote a piece for the big lead about how they could actually pull this off and not anger everybody because the one complaint you hear from people about expansion is not only just, who are they playing now? Like, what what is this? It's that traditional rivalries are getting blown up, that regionalism, the regionalism of college sports is getting blown up. There is a path to the Big Ten actually creating a path or a way to keep those things in place while still getting to 20 teams and getting the massive TV contract and all of those things. And so I wrote about it. I recommend anybody go read it. Um, it, the, The idea came off of a discussion on social media and... Uh, is that your discussion is, with Galen? Yeah, it actually is pretty brilliant, and uh, not not my end of it. Somebody else suggested it, and I kind of, you know, enjoyed the detail. So I'm not going to take credit for it. Um, the tweet is is linked in there, but go take a look and and see what you think. It's uh, it's certainly it, this is something. I mean, you know, I'm a traditionalist. I love the old rivalries. I love that you know I, I'm out on the West Coast. Like the Pac-12, while it's disintegrating, while it's been incredibly poorly run, there is some kind of a, a nostalgia for the days where you know all those teams would play each other. I know a lot of the players who are committing to these colleges out here are really upset that they're you know if they're from the region, their parents won't be able to go watch them play every game you know, that they're going to be in. You used to be able to drive to every team you were going to play against. And, you know, this has been going on for a long time. It didn't just start two years ago. This started when, you know, Big Ten brought in Penn State and and other conferences have been expanding for a long time. And this goes way back. Uh, but now it feels like it's getting to the point where it's just ridiculous. And you're going to have two basically super conferences and everybody else left out in the cold. And um, there are ways that they could do this that could benefit a lot more people 
And and I hope they really trend towards that instead of just we're chasing as much money as possible. We and we'll just sort out the details later. You know, I'd rather I, I really hope that they're thinking about this long term. For the sake of everyone, it, except involved. give it to the players. We're going to run to Congress right. and make sure that they don't yeah. do that. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, are you going to divulge the details of this plan in the rest of the segment? Or are you going to make people go read at the big lead? Why don't you, you promise do who's your to he- all click? Why, why don't you do who's your headline? Okay. And we'll we'll get into it. <laughs> okay. All right, let's do it. Uh, I have to tell you how to run the show, Jared. Come on. <laughs> uh, okay, here's what we have in store this week. Who's your headlines? Which there weren't a lot of headlines, so we're just going to focus on expansion. And then we have something fun planned here, you know, for the dog days of summer. It's going to be IU basketball superlatives for the assembly call era. So who's the best player, the most underrated player? What was the best performance, the best season? All since we launched the show in 2011. And of course, this is something that we want to do along with you uh, as you listen. So that is going to be segment two. All that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Uh, But first, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. Yes, this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, including our friends over at Crimson Cast, who finally released a new episode today, uh, previewing the football season. Uh, all shows uh, brought to you by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel and just vintage college apparel generally that you will find anywhere. And you know the great thing about Homefield Apparel and what they do, I think, is... There's a real respect for the traditions of the colleges and universities that they are licensing. And I think that's why they get all of these licenses where other companies may not, uh, because they have great storytellers that, you know, you go to the website and you see a cool garment with an awesome logo on it. And they actually tell you the story behind that logo. Like they just released a Texas or a UTEP. Uh, which, of course, previously had been Texas Western and had the first all-black uh, starting lineup that won the national championship in 1966. And that story is there. So you know kind of what you're buying. It looks great. It feels great. There's a story behind it. Uh, and they even just launched a new 16-part newsletter that is going to get into some of these untold stories, specifically about college football. And that's Home Field Apparel, man. They have great stuff. It's comfortable. And, you know, they are, they just... You know, they really, like I said, respect the traditions of the colleges. They tell those stories, and they're just an awesome company. You know, they support us. Uh, we really appreciate that. We love them, and so we highly recommend that you go there. It's homefieldapparel.com is the website. There's a new promo code though. It's home twenty three. So don't use the old promo code home. The new promo code is home twenty three. That will give you fifteen percent off your first order. As I say that, I am not sure if you use the promo code HOME, if you can now use the new promo code HOME23. Uh, I don't think you'll be able to because they track it based on email. But that is the new promo code HOME23. Go use it. uh, See if it works for you. Um, But that's our friends at homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. We love those guys. Um, All right. And by the way, go check out that episode of Crimson Cast. I don't know about you, but I've been checking like every week looking for a new episode. And so uh, Galen Wait, and Scott... Wait, there are podcasts that don't do an episode every week in the They are. Season? And it's funny. Like they start out, they, they basically start out the whole thing talking about the benefits of taking the summer off and recharging the batteries. 
I was like, yeah, that sounds that sounds kind of nice. Maybe we should think about doing that sometime. Um, Never. But no, 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 no. We like we like doing the weekly show. They like taking their time off. Hey, you know, every show is a little bit different. Uh, but this episode is great. Some would um, say it's a little lazy. I don't know. <laughs> I, it's... Shots fired at Crimson Cast. No, but go uh, go check those guys out. And Shredding they're back, Scott so they're Brown. gonna they're gonna start doing regular episodes again. Um, so you can check them out. <sighs> All right, let's talk about conference expansion. Um, you know, Ryan, we're going to get to you, obviously, and, and the thoughts that you laid out, because uh, I saw that conversation with Galen, and it's at once brilliant and at once really funny, um, just, you know, because of basically, you know, what's old is new again. But Coach, I'm curious to get your thoughts just about this topic in general, because I think you feel similarly to the way that I feel about it, which is that I don't like it. Uh, kind of hate it actually because you know I just prefer the traditions. I prefer the regionality of college sports, but I also just don't feel like wasting a whole lot of time lamenting and fearing something that is inevitable. I mean, this, we've kind of been on this crash course. We know that money drives everything in college sports. It can be infuriating at times, uh, and so it's going to happen. And because we have such a vested interest as Indiana fans in the Big Ten staying out in front. You know, I want them to ultimately do what is best for the conference and what is going to bring in the most revenue because that's ultimately going to help out Indiana. So if this is inevitable, then let's put ourselves in the best position if there's no chance of things going back to the way they were, which kind of sucks for something that we all love and, you know, we're kind of traditionalists in that way. But I just kind of feel like that's the best way to do it so that you're not tempted to just pull your hair out or throw in the towel. You kind of agree with that? Yeah, it's just an education a thing for me. I don't believe that conferences exist anymore. I, I think it is uh, a corporation, a conglomerate that needs assets. And, and so talking about the Big Ten is name only for me. Um, the Big Ten uh, was 10 or 12 teams. Uh, and once you brought in Maryland and Rutgers, and now you're going to USC, UCLA, to be to be honest, the, the, the allure of the Big Ten name is, is great, but to win that conference – uh, it, it is all about money. It is all, and it, and it needs to be, I guess. But I think what's going to happen here in the, in the very near future is the, um, a new division. It, it'll be 50, 60 teams. The, the big 10, the sec will be like the NFL. You know, sometimes your, your new England Patriots will play San Francisco 49ers, you know, on the West coast. Uh, and then those, conferences are positioning themselves to be included in a new NCAA division one, uh, where you'll have 60 teams or whatever, and they'll play the basketball tournament. They'll do whatever. And you'll divide into conferences. It'll be like uh, for college basketball, NBA only in, in college players will be getting paid. Uh, that's where I think we'll be in the next five to 10 years. So I'm starting to wean myself off the conference affiliation and, and, Big Ten fan and Pac-12 stuff, it pains me as an old guy and all those traditions. I, I think I don't like it, but we're not going back. Uh, th th there's no way uh, it's going back. It's going to be diluted, and the dilution is going to lead to a new Division One where you have the top whatever schools together and pooling all of that money. And I think you'll see the Big Ten, the SEC, all those conference things. And I just think that hurts, you know, your your other sports other than the big two in football and basketball. But um, I, I think that's ultimately where we're headed. And I'm priming myself for that so I don't get disappointed anymore. And any news is 
when the schedule comes out and Indiana's playing on a Tuesday night, I'm going to root for Indiana, whoever they're playing, and and not worry about a conference championship anymore because it's it's almost meaningless to me uh, at this point. Yeah. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the fourth member of our team is here. The president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, the Brent Tonsoni of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati and one of the world's most renowned bracketologists, Andy Bottoms. Andy, we are uh, in the midst here of talking about conference expansion. So either uh, expound on that topic or if you had another opening statement, uh, let us know. And by the way, kudos to Hannah. Good coaching, obviously. Uh, yeah, definitely not. Uh, definitely <laughs> not for me. Um, no, <laughs> no. I mean, the expansion stuff is interesting. I, 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 I won't say too much because I'm sure you guys have covered a lot of it. Um, you know, it's interesting. Ryan has a how, secret proposal that he's going to uh, make everybody go to the big. It's lead not a read. secret. It's published on a website. Oh, um, but you know, it's, it's interesting just how much it's changed. Even the the some of the rhetoric around the Big Ten, even over the last couple of days, and kind of what they would do or not do or or whatever. So I think it's. Uh, you know, I think they're in somewhat of a position where they can be selective um, based on what they've already done. But I do think they they probably need to be prepared to to strike if the situation presents itself and there's a short window of time to really uh, get something to happen. And I think, like Coach said, the the likelihood of things getting uh, bigger in the near future seems like the the most likely scenario. So just a matter of trying to you know prepare yourself for that and think about what it might look like and. Um, and how you'd really break all that up, but uh, not, not not too much to add. It's also speculative at this point. You just kind of wait and see what happens. You know, the moves that did happen already from a Big Ten perspective kind of weren't totally out of left field, but you know, weren't really on the radar not too long before they happened. And then all of a sudden, it's you know, UCLA and USC. So uh, hard to speculate what might what might uh, turn up that we're not even talking about in the coming days and weeks. So Ryan, I mean, obviously, all of us here, you know, we are. You know, to the extent that you know you're kind of rooting for one conference over the other, we're obviously rooting for the Big Ten to put themselves in the best, put ourselves in the best position possible, especially as it relates to the SEC. So, I mean, give me your thoughts on that, and what is, what do you think is the ideal outcome for all this shuffling around? Well, as far as it's all about college football, we all know that college football is the money sport, even more than we love college basketball, but it's not, it doesn't compete with football as far as revenue goes. And the Big Ten, I'm sorry to say to all the Big Ten fans out there, is never going to compete with the SEC. Uh, Football is just more popular in the South. It is always going to get higher television ratings there. It's always, those teams are always going to get higher television ratings nationally, and they're going to get the best recruits. They're going to get the best everything the facilities, all of that, because there's a dedicated culture to that, to just focus on football. Now, some of those football schools have turned out some pretty decent basketball teams over the years, but it's usually one year and then you know a couple years later, they might pop up with another one. It's all about football down there, and the Big Ten isn't like that. There's a lot of basketball culture. There's a lot of schools that focus on one sport or the other, and a lot of them are basketball schools. Uh, you're seeing Michigan State try and push way more money into football, and that hasn't really worked over the last couple of years. They had one great season, and and, and since then, it and and then followed that up by kind of going into the tank. That's a basketball school. It is. Michigan has been really great in football, and you saw them rise in basketball, and they were probably the best example of a two-tiered school, and, and along with Ohio State. But then it's uneven. It, but in football, they're always there. So it's it's one or the other. But overall, the SEC is the better football conference and always will be no matter how much money you're putting in there. And so trying to compete with the SEC is foolish. You're going to be in second place. It's just how much can you get 
being in second place with TV revenue, all of that stuff. You're going to come up short, but how much can you get is essentially what they're looking at. And that include that they have determined that expanding to the West Coast is the way to go. And they brought in the LA market with getting USC and UCLA. So I don't think that they can compete with the SEC. I just don't. The money is just on a different level there. And the interest is on a different level there. So, uh, I, you know, acting like, oh, the Big Ten can do this and beat the SEC, that's just foolish. It's not going to happen. It's all about guaranteeing that second place spot, which they already have. It's They've already got it now. And then nobody's going to, Going to, going to leapfrog them, between, you know, and put a gap between them and the SEC. Unless, well, and this is why you have to act quick, right? Unless, you know, one of the other conferences were to start acquiring teams, but the Big Ten is in clearly in the best position to do that. Yeah, I mean, think Big about Ten this is. real quick: is that Texas is arguably maybe the most valuable if you're if you were going to put a dollar amount like they do for football franchise like NFL franchises probably has the most valuable football program in the country along with Alabama you would put those two at the top the SEC just added Texas like i mean they're done they've got it they're Oklahoma's laughing is not that field. far behind either <laughs> and then Oklahoma of course is is right there and they both are just getting added to what is already the biggest conference and so there's nothing else you can do there to catch them and I think that all of the big fish have been captured other than Notre Dame. You know, I mean, Clemson is in the ACC. They're probably eventually going to go to the SEC. Let's be real. If, if the ACC continues to fall apart, I think they'd love for the ACC to be something to survive if they can just dominate. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think eventually Clemson becomes part of the mega SEC or whatever. Yeah. Um, but other than that, all the big fish are captured other than Notre Dame and Notre Dame seems pretty darn comfortable being independent. And a lot of people are describing, well, they're going to join the big 10. Like I don't, they don't have to, they make plenty of money. Um, so I think that's really the only big fish that isn't captured. And so you don't have to worry about another conference cobbling together some elite schools from across the country and, and, and supplanting you. I just don't see that happening. So, but given that it does look like the Big Ten is going to expand, what's the best way for them to do this and set this up so it can preserve as, you know, as much as possible, you know, having the kids travel a little bit less, try and preserve the historic rivalries, the regionality? Like, is there a path to at least salvaging some of that? I think so. And I think building off of the tradition is the way to do it. And, and you know, Reading some stuff today from people and talking on social media about it, like the idea is pretty simple that we came with. And it was so if they let's say they add Oregon and Washington, that takes you to 18, which means you need to get to 20 because 18 doesn't make sense. What's likely to happen is they want to open the Bay Area market. It's one of the biggest TV markets in the country. It's an underrated market because it's split between several cities with. San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose, but together it's a massive TV market. So they want the Bay Area. So they will go after Stanford and Cal, I would assume, both. And if you do that, you create a West Coast block of the Big Ten, essentially. Now you've got a bunch of West Coast teams. You got USC, UCLA, Cal, Stanford, Oregon, Washington. That's six already. The Pac-6. So what would <laughs> and, and what would make sense then is to add just, just throw Nebraska out there too, just for good measure. They're west Please. enough. I mean, well, what do we need to do? What I would do, and what what the smart thing to do then would be, if you have twenty in a football conference, it makes no sense to not have divisions. And if you're doing divisions for a cross country conference like this, you should do east and west. 
to to reduce travel time, to make it easier on the players, and also to create those regional rivalries that you are currently missing and that you may not see. And so the 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 split somebody came up with, which was brilliant, is to do Indiana, Illinois, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, Northwestern, Ohio State, Penn State, Purdue, and Rutgers. Basically the eastern half in one division. And the other one, you've got those West Coast teams I mentioned. You add in Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. That's four to that original six. And you create a Western division. You have them play those divisions you have you could have nine conference games if you wanted where they all just play each other. You could do eight and one cross conference game and change it like interleague play in baseball, you know, every you know year. So one year you get USC, Ohio State, one year you get like Michigan, UCLA, like some crossover there, but essentially create it so the two divisions play each other, and then the winners play in the conference championship game. So you're creating basically a super conference with two conferences in it, essentially. And you know what? If the Pac-12 goes away, license the name Pac-10 and make the West Coast version the Pac-10. And have if if and then the other great thing about this that I love is let's say those teams go to the playoff, the top teams go to the playoff. The top two eligible uh, teams that are not going to make the playoff could go play in the Rose Bowl, and it would be Pac-12, Big Ten, just like it used to be, and keep that regional, keep that like tradition alive. There's an easy way to do this. And have it work for everybody. The kids don't have to travel as much. You still have your massive conference that you want. You could just kind of nominally separate them and let them do their own thing and have the crossover, have that stuff. Maybe even do six conference games and each team gets two crossover games or something like that. I think that's the way to do it. You could even, instead of having a conference championship, they will have a conference championship game, but I'm saying just in case they don't, you could even have the two division winners negotiate that they get automatic bids into the college football playoff and then make your conference championship game the Rose Bowl. You know, I mean, there, there's a, and that way it gives it like meaning, you know, um, so that, you know, the two yeah. teams that go into the playoff could opt out of that, you know, since it doesn't really matter anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I think that territorially it makes the most sense to split this conference East and West instead of having, like for for college basketball, you're not gonna be for basketball. You're not gonna be able to do that. You can do a 20 team conference because there's so many games. You can do a 20 team conference of basketball. The players are gonna have to fly everywhere. It's gonna be miserable regardless. There's no way to fix that. But for football, where you're only playing eight nine conference games, it makes no sense to have these guys going all over the country every week. Having to you know they're they're pitching right now. Like if one of the West Coast teams like UCLA or USC has to play Rutgers, they'll just stay on the East Coast for a week and play. Uh, Maryland next, not go home and practice at their own facility, but play it like a high school for a week. Like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. If you want a good product, you need to like make it so they can make it a good product and not have to be doing these crazy, you know, bend reality moves to make it work. So I, I, I think that's the, 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 the biggest win for everybody and everybody, I, I don't see a negative there. Some of the teams in the East, cause you're going to have Ohio state and Michigan and Penn state, are are in your are in your division that sucks but that's kind of the way it is now anyway so you're not really losing anything how about going uh adding three west I, you probably can't do this but if you had three west coast teams and then someone else in another territory of the united states you can have four five team pods mm-hmm. you could and then could. and then play it like the nfl with the with the four divisions mm-hmm. in the nfc you play you know everyone in your in your pod 
every yep. year, and then, and then you play a couple in another. Yeah, yeah. That then you play. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I can't I, wait to see IU be in a pod with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and I really look forward to it. I think the big thing that I like about the, the 10 and 10 proposal, and you're right, coach, that could work if they add Florida State or Miami or something, they could, you know, make that work somehow. I don't know how Florida State would do that, you know, flying because they've got to fly to, you know, they have nothing close. It's kind of like USC and UCLA right now. Their closest home game is like 1,500 miles away or closest road game. But the pods, the pods do well for all the other sports too. They do. What I would like, say, you can come up with some scheduling for baseball where you play the you know four series against yes. your pod, and then then you're playing the West Coast one year, uh, yeah. four more divisions. Out. Then you yeah. do the Midwest, then you it do just that. Have to be a rotating um, thing, yeah, a, a rotating the, thing like that they do in the NFL, uh, you know, situation with all of those. The thing I like about the ten ten split, and I also I agree. I could I could look at a proposal about pods. I, I think that would be interesting. Five team pods, but um, the thing I like about the ten and ten split is just that it does keep all of those regional rivalries together and it creates heightened anticipation for a game like USC and Ohio State counting towards a conference, you know, divisional thing. I mean, that's and if it's not happening every year because if it happens every year, it kind of unless it's you, you know, Michigan Ohio State, like the biggest rivalry in college football, unless that's it's that, it loses magic if it's happening every year. You know, if 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 USC is playing Michigan every year after like the third year, you're going to be like, Oh, they're playing Michigan again. Like, you know, it, it's so I think that you do preserve some of that, the novelty of having these teams all in the same conference, but at the same time, you also preserve what made people like college football to begin with, which is that you're playing teams in your backyard and yeah. there are rivalries. And when you go to a game, you're seeing fans from a team that you have grown up, not liking, you know, as opposed to, well, Rutgers is here this week. I know nothing about them. I don't care. Um, so, yeah, I think that it just keeps the heightened interest. It keeps the built-in interest. And now there would be higher stakes, obviously. Central and Coastal. Put Penn State, Maryland, Rutgers, Nebraska with the six Pac-12 leftovers, and then yes. you get back to an original Big Ten yes. in the Central. Central and Coastal. Yeah. Call it, call it, you know, call it. Well, that's the other thing is the Big Ten is it's so I was I was, you know, the Big Ten was known as the Midwest Conference. ACC mm -hmm. was the, the 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 Atlantic Conference. The the SEC is that southern region. Pac-12 was all West Coast like that's gone now. Like none of that exists. And and the Big Ten is no longer a Midwestern conference. Yeah, most of their teams are there. But you got a team in New Jersey. You're in Maryland. You're in L.A. now. Like it doesn't. Like the identity is gone of these conferences is gone. You know, the SEC is in Texas deeply and Oklahoma and would probably expand West if it could, you know. And, and so I think that doing this preserves that identity. If you keeping that Eastern group is more traditional Big Ten and they're all grouped together. And then you have that West Coast group being grouped together as well. It just makes the most sense. And it, it, it regains some of the identity that's been lost through this whole thing and the brand. I mean, I mean, to get you and Galen on a podcast to break this down more once the actual decisions come down and we see what's actually going to happen. I'll spend a few days drinking and then I'll get on a podcast yeah. with him because I'll just be like pouring it out for the Pac 12. Yeah. The Conference of Champions. Conference of Champions, no Somewhere more. Somewhere Bill Walton is crying. Oh, they'll get him mm. on some UCLA games. Yeah. <clears throat> 
All right. Uh, by the way, the only other Hoosier headline that we have, the IU women on their uh, trip to Greece, <laughs> won 120 to 50 today against what was described as a Greek all-star team. Uh, Mackenzie Holmes did not play, but I think a lot of these teams that you play, they're just kind of cobbled together and... You know, but apparently from people who watched, uh, the freshmen looked good and, you know, hey, you beat someone 120 to 50, I guess everybody's going to look good. So uh, that is good. Congratulations to the women. They have another game coming up on Saturday, I believe. Uh, and those games are able to be watched. So I will look for the link to that and we'll post it in the community and post it uh, on Twitter and elsewhere so that you can see it. Any other Hoosier headlines or final thoughts on this glorious topic of expansion? Which we all love so much. Just read the article, folks. I promise it's it, it makes. I sense. will just say I'm just glad that expansion is coming to us, and I really feel bad for the fan bases that you know are having to go to other conferences, and you kind of lose your identity a little bit. Yep. Like I think that would be, I think that would really suck. And so we have this we're discussion. Just, we're lucky, especially as a program that's not exactly you know leading with football, we're lucky to be in the position we're in. Honestly, one last thing. That was that was quite an understatement. You slipped in. <laughs> I, I will say trying to be optimistic, Andy. <laughs> no fan base that isn't an elite football program should be getting comfortable in their new conferences. I think at some point we've talked about this before, but the inevitable end of this is like ten football powers from every corner of the country breaking away and creating their own super conference and leaving everybody else behind and, and teams like, because guess what guys, Ohio state and Michigan don't want to share their football revenue with Purdue and Indiana. They absolutely do not want to be giving an equal split of the revenue to schools like Purdue and Indiana or Northwestern or whatever. They want that money for themselves and they are going to find a way to get more and more and more and moving USC to the, to, to, the Big Ten, a lot of people in the Big Ten celebrated that move, USC, UCLA, but more it was for USC. That might have been the start of the end of the Big Ten because USC, Ohio State, Michigan could band together with Texas, Alabama, I don't know, Florida, a couple other schools and just break off and create their own thing and leave everybody else looking like what the Pac-12 looks like right now, which is disjointed, lost, having no idea what to do because that football revenue is gone. So I wouldn't get super comfortable or celebrate too much or pop the champagne that you've got a great conference because eventually I think this is all going away. Remember when this was about education? Nope. Nope. Before my before my time. about education. Yeah. Before my life. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, long, long time. All right. Well, let's leave uh, that topic in the rear view. Time to move on to segment number two, which is going to be a fun one. So coming up here, we are going to have some fun. Uh, our show has been going since 2011. Who are the best players, the best performances? What were the best games during that time frame? We are going to discuss and maybe even debate a little next. Stick with us on this All right. Well, that was nice and uplifting. I wonder, I mean, if that happens, I mean, would that be something where just the football programs go and the other conferences maintain kind of some kind of integrity with the other sports? No idea. You know, I mean, I, mean, I really don't, I really don't no, know. No integrity will be remained whatsoever. Okay. Integrity is definitely the wrong word. Um, <laughs> I need to think of a different word there, but I don't know. I mean, you're, I mean, you may be right. 
You know, if you're it, it, if you're not a football power, you are vulnerable in the fair. new economics no, I mean, and, of college and, sports. And yes, that's just the way. I mean, and that's just the way it's trending. And we've all. And I remember last year when we talked about USC and UCLA, and we had kind of an argument about it. And you were kind of like agnostic, like you know, this is going to happen anyway. And just, I was like, if this it's is, inevitable, you know. Yeah, and I was saying do? it's a it's a terrible idea because I'm thinking of this of the, the student athletes who now have to, you know fly across the country well you know i mean the players will say then um because it's miserable for them and they have no choice in this you know no. they've been you know and and um i just think that yeah it's 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 so ridiculous and what they could have done what the conferences could have done instead of competing with each other is they could have come together as a group the major conferences and worked out tv deals that worked for everybody and <laughs> Their bargaining power as a group would have been so much stronger than individually. And the problem is, is that everybody in those conferences is so greedy that they're like, we don't want to share anything. We want to beat you. We don't want to work with you. Well, if they worked together, you could have kept the integrity of what you had and also heightened everything else and created a national championship uh, that you could have like a real one 20 years ago. They could have done all of this a long time ago, but instead... They wanted to compete with each other. And what's happened is their competition is going away. And it is it is going to create a lot of people who don't want to watch the product anymore. Because you do you really think that ACC fans of ACC schools care to watch the Big Ten or the SEC if their teams aren't in it? Like, I mean... The, Only the, the big the, matchups, you know. Maybe. Even those are going to lose some even, of their luster. Because the people aren't as invested anymore. Yeah. If they're not, you know, if they have no reason to be invested, they won't be invested. And so, you know, I mean, I personally, as a fan, you know, I want to see, I'll watch the team that beat my team, you know, go to the college football play and see how they do against someone else. It, it, it as a comparison to how my team is like, is my team actually that close or no, or I just, know. you know, something about that team, but the ACC teams that are left, they're not going to care about watching five SEC teams fight it out for a national championship. They're just not. And no, so it, it does seem ruin to, the product. It's it does seem to a betray a lack of understanding or a complete disregard for what made college football and college sports such a popular television product in the first place. Yeah. You know? I, and if you erode that too much, what are you getting? What are you left with? So I, this is, I mean, this is comparing two things that are, completely unrelated but i think that the point is the same somebody on social media when the writer's strike and actor strike happened in hollywood was talking about how for a long time these studios have wanted to do completely ai generated movies no actors no writers no directors they want it all created by ai and somebody said and they're right the problem is, is they have been in their position so long. They are so out of touch with actual people. They yes. think that's what actual people want to watch. And they don't. And, and it's the same with college football. These guys who are running these conferences and these athletic directors, whatever, are so out of touch with what viewers actually want. They are going to this year, I guarantee you, next summer, they are going to have a discussion about changing the NCAA tournament to an all-at-large bid tournament. That has been discussed behind the scenes for two years because they think that's what people want. Or they think that, first of all, it's more money for all the major conferences. And they think they're backing into a justification for what they want is the problem. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Nobody wants that. 
You want the upsets. That's what we watch for. You watch for that magic. And those upsets usually work themselves out. And you get the big time teams in the final four and championship game usually. But you, the first two days, it's all about anybody can beat anybody and the magic of it and all of that. And we've seen 16s beat ones twice now. Uh, one happened last year. Who was that? I don't remember. Hmm. Um, but, but that's the thing is that these people are in their positions for so long, they lose touch with what people actually want. And yeah. it's, it, it's happening across society, but it's very obvious in these positions. Like nobody who's a fan of USC wants them in the Big Ten, like wants to watch them play Big Ten teams. They just don't care. Like it's not you're not related to any. They want the school to get more money because then that they invest that they get more players and all of that. But they're not fired up about watching them play Minnesota. Like nobody cares. They want to see him beat the hell out of Cal and Stanford and those teams. So again, it's just it's it's guys making decisions at high levels that are so out of touch with reality. All right, I'll get off this. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, I don't know. Well said, though. I appreciate the insight that you brought to the conversation, Ryan. Uh, all right, let's let's have some fun here. Let's talk some basketball. Some Indiana Big Ten basketball. Here we go. <clears throat> hey, guys, it's Gene Steratore, CBS officiating analyst and retired Big Ten basketball official. You know, I have never listened to the assembly call. And to be honest, I don't intend to. But if you listen... Make sure you ignore anything Ryan says about officiating. He's really good from the seat of his pants, but I wouldn't trust him on the court with a whistle around his neck. Time has proven him wrong on virtually everything. Take care. We'll talk soon. Ryan Phillips, good on conference expansion talk, bad as a referee analyst. <laughs> I love how he says, we'll talk soon. No, we won't, Gene. When are we ever going to have He ad-libbed that in, too. I didn't write I, that for him. We'll talk soon. Yo. No. You calling me later? What's, no, we need, what's the we need to get him on the show. I need to reach out and try and actually get him on the show. That would actually be really fun. Um, all right. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips, Brian Tonsoni, and Andy Bottoms coming off just a thrilling and uplifting conversation about conference expansion that has everybody in a good, jovial mood. Uh, not really. We're all um, doomed. <laughs> we're all doomed. Uh, but hey, let's have a little bit of fun here. Uh, there's not a whole lot of news going on right now with Indiana basketball. Summer workouts are completed, and so this is you know kind of the time when we experiment with some different segments. Uh, I will tease in two weeks on August seventeenth, our buddy Chris Williams, uh, the 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 brilliant man behind the IU Artifacts Twitter account, <clears throat> he will be here, and we are going to do a trivia episode. Uh, so I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. We're kind of going back and forth on what the topic should be and how we're going to do it, but that's coming in two weeks. I have a way to yes. do it. We should all get whiteboards and write down and then hold them up. Okay, that's a good I idea. That's as opposed to like trying to know, buzz just, in or yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But I was also like, thinking reveal it might your be, answer. You it know, might be interesting kind of. if we bring a community member on too, and they can compete against us to answer questions. So we'll see. We're gonna we're gonna talk through how we might do that. But that is coming. Uh, but for this week, uh, we have something fun. You know, I saw. I think it was last week. Uh, Robert Johnson, who, of course, Andy is the uh, president of his fan club, was back in Bloomington working out with Cliff Marshall. Uh, and I think I sent out a tweet uh, that, you know, Robert Johnson is the most underrated player since we've been doing the show, which kind of got me to thinking, A, is that true? And who would be the other kind of, cat, you know, uh, uh, candidates in that discussion? And then who are some of the other kind of superlatives? Who's the best player since we've been with since we've been doing the show? What was the best game since we've been doing the show? The best performance? 
And so we're going to break some of those down here, and we'll see how many we get through. If we don't get through them all, we can hold them over uh, until next week. Uh, but let's uh, let's go through some of these, and I appreciate that we had some community members that um, suggested a few other categories that we will go over, and so we are going to hit those now. So let's start with this one, gentlemen, uh, and I kind of went through and did some homework and came up with some candidates for each one of these, but certainly you can go off the board and choose your own, uh, and please, if you have one that I didn't think of, you know, also you here in the chat mob, uh, let us know. Because uh, there may have been some that I forgot. But here's the first one. Other than the Kentucky game, because I think that is the obvious answer to this one for everybody, uh, if you could men in black yourself and go back and relive one game, what would it be? And I don't, you know, men in black, as my wife has been telling me a lot recently, I'm getting old. Uh, actually, yesterday we had a date night and I decided that I wanted to kind of class it up a little bit. And so I tucked my polo shirt into my shorts. I was like, yeah, you know, let me look a little bit nicer. I see the face. I was like, let me just look a little bit nicer than just having the shirt hanging out. She comes home from work, takes one look at me and starts laughing and says, what the hell are you doing? I was like, you might I was as well trying tucked to... it into your socks. <laughs> yeah, well, like, yeah, well, that's what she said. She said, why aren't you wearing white socks and sandals also? <laughs> so, uh, you know, she's been kind of making some comments about how I'm getting old and acting old. Uh, yeah, coach is like, that's like my normal attire. I know. Um, <laughs> so anyway... I realize, men, you know, men in black yourself, that may be a reference that not all the younger listeners get. That basically means you erase a memory uh, from your mind. So if you could men in black yourself and relive a game uh, like you had never watched it, what would it be? And so I went through and, you know, some of the obvious candidates to me were the NC State game in 2011, because there was just something so surprising and fun about that comeback win coming off the heels of, you know, the first three years of the Tom Crean era. The 2012 home game against UNC, where we just obliterated them because it was that group at their absolute best. That was that might just be the them most, peaking. That might be the most fun I've ever had watching it. So NBA much game. fun. We just dominated them, you know? And we're so, not expected to. It's supposed, it supposed to be a tight game. Yes. Uh, the 2013 game at Michigan, which, you know, that season was tough, but that was the crowning achievement for the best group of players that we've watched over the course of two seasons. And so, you know, that, I just remember the anxiety of that game. Um, you know, and so going back and reliving that, you know, waiting that moment where it looked like the ball might roll in and it rolls off. Uh, and then the other one uh, that I thought about, or a few more, uh, the 2016 win over Kentucky in the round of 32, uh, which just featured great individual performances, of course, a win over Kentucky, uh, and in the moment, a team that you believed really had a chance to do something, um, you know, with that game against North Carolina coming up, which, of course, we know didn't go that well. And then a couple of other ones, the 2019 home game against Michigan State, where Indiana won on the last second. That's kind of for sentimental reasons, because we were, we were there. there. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was really thrilling to be there for. Uh, and then the 2022 win over Purdue, which broke the streak, the Rob Finnessy game. Um, you know, that was just, you know, a, a great moment as well. And there's some other ones that you could throw in there. Those were... To me, the top choices, and I ended up siding with the 2016 win uh, over Kentucky um, as the one that I would like the, to go back and relive in the NCAA tournament. Because it was an NCAA tournament game, the stakes were so high. You know, you got to see OG Ananobi just at his defensive best. Great performances by Thomas Bryant. You know, uh, you know, a huge win for Yogi Ferrell. So to me, that's the one. But man, I could make an argument for so many different ones. Um, so let's get your thoughts, Coach. We'll start with you. What would be the one game that you would want to go back and relive with a fresh mind? I think I'd like to go back to 2013. The Michigan game would be my answer. But I'm going to add one to the board. I, as I was getting ready for this. 
I thought I'd want to go back and see that round of in 2012 against VCU. Mm. Uh, and how close that game was. And Will Sheehy puts in a shot uh, on the yeah. baseline to win by three, I believe. And, and that really was from nowhere. We were totally rebuilt the program, all the sanctions, and we got out of the first weekend. And, and I remember I was in Nashville, Tennessee, at the NCAA tournament uh, in, in Nashville, and I was in a bar watching that. And it was just such a relief as an Indiana fan from where we had been to the just the depths to now be going back uh, to the Sweet 16. So that's a, a game one. that I don't remember a whole lot of, probably because I was at that bar. But um, I do remember that being just a pivotal uh, game that I'd want to probably go back and relive. But my Man, real honestly, answer is the the first half of the Sweet 16 game against Kentucky would be fun to relive too because yeah. that was so much fun, yeah. just the back and forth. That yeah. that team, I mean, that, that 2011, beat them 2012. Twice in one year, yeah. Like we've been doing the show for what twelve years now. There is no question that was the most fun season, you know. Yeah, because the next one, the, the expectations yep. were so high that it was nerve wracking. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's a good one, Coach uh, Andy. Which one? So wait, Coach. Which one got your vote? You said uh, I'm going to say 2013 uh, Michigan, the, the okay. Big Ten championship game at Michigan with with Zeller scoring late and and yep. all of that um, as as the best game that I'd like to go back and relive. But that VCU game was one I was really considering. Yep. And remember, this is just since we started the show. So it's just since 2011. Uh, Andy, which one gets your vote? I tended to lean toward the Kentucky one when I put the list together. It was also disheartening in a couple of these, like scrolling through wins from a given year. And it's like, these are terrible. <laughs> um, like none of these are good at all. Uh, so, you know, the only other one that I would throw in there, I mean, I, I, you know, I think there's an argument to be made to throw the Purdue game from last year on there. It's a little bit hard. Some of these, you're, I feel like you're a little bit um, a prisoner of the moment in in a good way, and sometimes, and maybe in a bad way. And others, like that one, probably with aging a few years, uh, you know, may be there. But that one's a lot fresher in my mind than some of these are. You don't even need to men in black me, if you will. I just yeah. literally don't remember some of these uh, other games. <laughs> Only other one that I would throw out, just because you know, to me. A lot of these are you're trying to find a game where something really mattered. Uh, I think that comeback yeah. against Michigan in the Big Ten tournament a couple of years ago was a yes. really kind of came out of left field uh, a little bit, based on where they had gone and the stakes at that one. point for that team. Where if you don't do that, you're not making the NCAA tournament. And we think about what a springboard that that kind of was to last year. But yeah, I, I tended to go back to that Kentucky game uh, in some ways because I didn't get to watch it live. I was at a soccer tournament, listened to it on my phone and like pacing the sidelines and I would get lost in the basketball game for a while. And then I would get lost in the soccer game and not really know what was going on and, uh, and whatever else. So I, you know, in some ways watching that live, uh, with no idea what happened would be really the first time that I was able to do that, uh, in the case of that game. But I think just, again, the stakes, who it was against, uh, and, and that was in a lot of ways, that team was as fun to, to watch and their, growth and development was almost as, you know, fun as the first season that we talked to, you know, that we did the show that we talked about where, you know, the NC state game and that VCU game that coach talked about, like, you know, that was really the, the closest that, that season was really the closest we've come to that. Um, and, and again, given the stakes and, and the opportunity to do that, I think a team, when we talk about Robert Johnson, you know, what that, you know, could they have gone further if not for that wrist injury and some of those things uh, for that season as well is kind of another thing to lament. But uh, but that was certainly a high point of that season. Yeah, probably, you know, that 2016 team, probably from the second half of the Notre Dame game on, that was probably the other most fun stretch since we've been doing the show. 
Because that team just came. I mean, they played so bad early in that season. Yep. You know, out in Maui and then against Duke. By Duke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that that stretch after that, where Troy Williams kind of turned around the Notre Dame game, and it kind of felt like it turned the whole season around um, in a sense. Uh, Ryan, I apologize for the uh, you know for the year parameters. You can't choose the Marco Killingsworth game here uh, and go back and see that. But what would, well, that's uh, obviously number one. <laughs> was he there for that? <laughs> I think so. I Coach, you got to hear the story. Guys, let's get into <laughs> I, it. I can't wait um, to hear the story. Again. Um, no, I, I think the uh, the answer for me, I mean, I think that the Kentucky game is a great answer, uh, that that Sweet 16 game, or I mean the uh, round of 32 game. Should have uh, been a Sweet answer, 16 game. Felt yeah, like a but Sweet the, 16 game. The answer to me is is it's not tough. It's the Purdue game from this year at assembly hall where they, where they beat them close late. I, that's, that's I would, I would go. And also I will say I, I went to that game as media. I would like to have gone to it as a fan. Like I would like to yeah. watch it, rewatch it as a fan. Um, I got I sat I next had, to Scott for that game. It was oh awesome. God. It was so great. <laughs> um, but no, I think that, that, you know, it, they stormed the floor. It was a great performance. They scored late to 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 take you know to maintain the lead. Jalen had a couple of great plays in the last two possessions. Um, yeah, just it was just such a fun game. That the other team had the national player of the year. I think they were number one at the time. You know, I mean, it's just it was such a huge game. And anytime you beat number one, it doesn't matter that it's Purdue. Anytime you beat number one, it's a big deal, especially when your program is still kind of are we back? Are we not? Kind of. Um, I, I just thought that was great. I, I think uh, that would be my choice to go back and rewatch that, not knowing because I think that going into it, I thought we had a good chance to win, but I was not expecting to win. And so it would surprise me against that Kentucky team. I felt like we were going to win. I felt like Indiana was going to win that game. I don't know why, but I just had this feeling they had Jamal Murray. They had some really good players, but I just felt like Indiana was going to win the game. I thought they were just better equipped to win it. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I mean, I probably underrated some of the more recent games. A little of course, because both yeah. those Purdue games yeah. were awesome. The we beat Michigan when they were number one, two in Assembly Hall in thirteen. Correct. Yep. Did, I don't yes. know if we brought yes. that up. That's yeah, right. That was I the forgot about that game, game day. That was the game day game. Game day was in. Was yeah. that the that was the year that, that, after the missed dunk? Right, the missed dunk no. was twenty twelve. No, no, that, that was, was the year. The that was the missed dunk game. Okay, yeah, I watched that game on a treadmill in New Orleans. We were in New Orleans for the Super Bowl because that's when my dad was working with the 49ers. and we were in New Orleans for the Super Bowl and watched that game on a treadmill uh, in the hotel. So I, that's actually a good one because it's it you know it's kind of Andy like you were talking about. You didn't get to fully experience it. I didn't feel like I really fully experienced that game because I wasn't kind of watching it my normal way. Didn't get on the show. Um, that's a good one. Yeah. I, I completely forgot about that one, man. That was a huge game. Good call coach. Um, okay. Uh, and again, let us know if you're in the community, we're going to be kind of trickling these out as discussion posts over the week. So everybody can, uh, give their ideas, but you know, love all the ideas uh, here that we're getting in the chat mob too. So keep those coming. Okay. Now let's kind of go the reverse of that. And I apologize for bringing up some really bad memories here. So if you are triggered by really poor Indiana basketball performances, maybe fast forward for 10 minutes, what game would you wipe from your memory forever? Just to be able to forget that it ever happened. Um, Every time they've ever played at Wisconsin. (laughs) Well, okay. That's true. Um, Here are the candidates that I came up with. The first one is obvious. The Syracuse loss. Uh, to me, I just have too much respect for that group to wipe that loss out. 
Um, I can't, I just can't do that. When it was an NCAA tournament game, I know it was painful, um, but we're going to come back to that with a question later. Uh, another candidate would be the NIT loss to Georgia under Tom Crean or Georgia Tech, where we gave up the home game and just played like absolute. I mean, it was just terrible, and it just seemed like a dead program walking at that time. But there's no question to me the winner of this category has to come from the Archie Miller era because there were just so many depressing moments in the Archie Miller Hard era that I would like to wipe. I know. So you've got the Indiana state loss that started it off and maybe we should have just made a coaching change at halftime uh, in hindsight. <laughs> would have saved us all a lot of misery. You've got the loss at Minnesota where Indiana basically quit, you know, and Archie, you know, obviously was very upset and, uh, you know, yelled at everybody, the loss to Rutgers in the big 10 tournament where they got booed off the court but the one for me that I, I would want to wipe, there's really two of them, but there's one, I guess, that stands out a little bit more. It's in 2019 during the first part of that awful 12 out of 13 stretch. It's the two home performances against Michigan and Nebraska. We were totally non-competitive. And just the, the memory of seeing an Indiana team just totally capitulate to a Big Ten opponent at home in the way where they literally had the game was over within the first minute of the game. And the Michigan game was worse than the Nebraska game. We lost that game by 25 points. It was awful. I would love to wipe that from my memory because anytime an Indiana team is non-competitive and looks like they don't care at home, you know, that's just not mine. Now, the other one would be the Purdue game when Bob Knight came back. I would like to wipe the game, the 40-minute game yes. from my memory, but everything that else was, that surrounded it was awesome. For those so, of you who couldn't be in the arena, it was that dreadful. was the worst feeling I have ever had. But it was such a range of emotions, you know, yes, because you got why, the stuff with night. We're all there together because we were at that game. That crowd God. was begging for any excuse to explode. Yes. Any excuse. And every time Indiana would get a stop and come down and you were just ready to jump out of your seats, they'd like airball a shot. And then uh, Purdue would go down, get a couple points. Indiana would get some stops, get some layups, whatever. Have the chance to get back in it and yeah. just it's, you know give what? It away. It's not even the making or missing of shots. You're going to make or miss shots. It's the non-competitiveness, just in Absolutely. spirit, that you just saw too many times from Archie Miller teams. So again, there, there there were too many other things wrapped up in that Purdue game. So I would like to wipe the performance from my mind. But there's other stuff that happened. For me, it's the Michigan game because I just think in our 12 years. I think it's the worst I've ever seen an Indiana team play. And that happened at home. Get it out of my mind. I just, I don't want to ever think about it again. Um, so those are the candidates. I'm sure there are some that, you know, that I forgot. Um, but Andy, let's go to you first with this one. Uh, I, I will throw a couple others out there. Okay, uh, more. One, well, one would be the loss to Iowa a couple years ago in the Big Ten tournament with a stupid Bohannon shot. Oh. Or, I mean, any number of times that Bohannon. Yeah would hit a shot but those it was games like, were kind of entertaining though until the very end that team was really like coming together and you actually let yourself believe the team could have success in the big 10 tournament and then it was just ripped away from you at the end uh Ugh. the one that i remember i think if only because i think i was just apoplectic uh on the show after the game was the 2014 home loss to penn state oh gee oh if, my if god want, the 13 point yeah. if, Oh, yeah, if, if you want to look at a win probability graph that defies any logic whatsoever, as I looked back through it at the like, this is about the three minute mark of the game remaining. Penn State had a point six. Yes, as in not even a full percent chance of victory point six. <laughs> that was when I you look like they'd never seen a press before. Uh, 
and they Horrific. got outscored 15 to 2 over the last part of the game and even with like even with less than a minute left there was only a 5.9% chance of winning just unbelievable as i was looking back through i was like i think i was trying to find the game cuz i remembered what it was and then i looked on the ken palm and the win probability thing is just it just defies logic of any kind that's a good um, one so i i that's may throw, i may give i may give my vote to that one just because it was uh, you know, it, it, the, the reality is like in that season, that game didn't really matter. And I think that's probably the common thread of a lot of these right outside of the Syracuse one. Like it was some of these were just like the worst losses of a season full of losses um, yeah. that, that you talked about there. But I, I'll I'll throw the Penn State one in the mix. That was about as bad as any. I mean, if there's anything I can remember that happened nearly 10 years ago, it had to be bad. Yeah. All right. That's that's a good one to add. I I probably I, I was more thinking about like full forty minute performances I wouldn't wanted to see, but there were some no. that were just so crushing at the end that you don't that you wouldn't want to relive ever. God, that mine was is not a mine is not a Maryland. Was it two thousand twenty one yes. Maryland yes. when Smith started taunting the crowd? We were up six yep. with a minute one to go yes. and lost. Yes. And lost. Did, did that go to overtime? Nope. Mm, I don't. I don't think did they it did, lose no. it. Okay, I don't think it did either. I was. Uh, All right, Ryan, which which one gets your vote? Uh, one you guys are forgetting, and I know this is is coming off that that 2013 team coming off of beating number one Michigan went to Illinois and lost because Cody Zeller didn't turn around on an inbounds play got slipped on the screen. Yep, and yeah. just wasn't looking. He wasn't ready to start and. Yep. Uh, lost 74-72, coming off the win at number one Michigan. Like, they had just established themselves. No, no, no. We are the best team in the country. Wait, where'd that guy go? You know, I mean, it was... That's See, I, one... I, I couldn't do it with that team. I, I you know, that, I, I just that, can't wipe no, any you know game what from it was? that team from my memory. You know what it is? And it's, it's just that game because you. I expected so much more of them at that point to not, A, yeah. be close with that Illinois team who wasn't ranked, but B, it's a simple play. All you have to do is defend it. Even a- have play average defense here, and you're going to overtime. And we were did- kicking their butt for like 30 minutes, weren't we? Yes. And they came back late. Yes. They came back late, hit a bunch yeah. of shots. That one, I would say the, the UNC loss in the Sweet 16 when they went on to the national championship game, that sucked because the whole game plan was to make them shoot threes because they were a terrible three-point shooting team. And they went nuclear from the three point yeah. line. Marcus and his head just went nuts. And he yeah. wasn't a three point shooter. And and you know, it, nope. like they, you could tell the strategy was leave him open, like back off of him and guard the big guys and guard the inside. And they just went nuclear. And Indiana didn't have a chance. It was just hard to watch because it was such a good team. And they it went was all that bat- year. What did they win it all that year? No, that's what they lost. To they, they lost. They to lost to Villanova. Okay, where Marcus Page hit another shot. And then, yeah, that's right. Um, but so that, that game was tough for me because that team, they basically just got unlucky. They caught a team that was hot. I think they could, they matched up really well with that team. It could have beat them, but they just got hot, hit a bunch of threes. And that to was Andy's it. point. Having Robert Johnson would have helped. It would have certainly, too. but, the, but I mean, it was just one of those things where the other team played, did exactly what you wanted them to. And they made shots. I don't think whoever was on the floor, if they shoot like that, yeah. I don't think whoever's on the floor really matters. So that, that's the toughest one for me. That's what I mean. You know, those losses are the most like crushing because you believed in those teams so much yeah. and you thought they could go farther. So it's, it's kind of how you view the question. 
Yeah, know? no, I mean, look, the entire Archie Miller era, even when they were winning games, was hard to watch. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but but I would say specific like heartbreakers, those are two yeah. that really got me. Also, I will any say, game featuring Ron Harper Jr. would be a, a yes, candidate for this. Yeah. I will say going back, going back and looking at that 2013 team, because that, that loss is seared in my memory, I didn't realize just how much they dominated Purdue. I knew they blew out Purdue. I didn't know it was 97 to 60 at Purdue. I like it was almost 40 points. <laughs> like, God, that team was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach, which game would you like to wipe from your memory? Uh, like you said, there are several there in the last five or six years that just really stunk. But for me, it's going to be the Syracuse game uh, because yeah, you ha- don't have so many uh, opportunities to win a national championship and you are a number one seed. Uh, that hasn't happened. I mean, you can play well for a long period of time and never be a number one seed and, and a path is set for you. Um, and and we just were either over-prepared or under-prepared or whatever from – you know, whatever you listen to and hear, but we, we, we heard our, the Syracuse zone is tough to play against in, in the tournament. It's been proven, but we also hurt ourselves from the coaching position in that game. And to, to me, that just, that was an opportunity for us to get back and boy, would that have boosted the program? Um, you know who knows if uh, they beat Syracuse, with, they win the national title. I'm sorry, I, I look. Yeah, they, I just, they their matchups against the rest of those teams were it's your so fault favorable. for predicting it on our NCAA tournament show. You, you know what? Ass. You pay me for analysis, and yeah. I gave you analysis. It's the best prediction you've so ever that one, made, and I wish you'd never made it. Yeah. It's that, and then any any of those losses where you know the Penn State one, the Maryland one, where you have the game at hand. I think there was. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. There's a late Butler win at, at one point too. Yes, over again Indiana. the 2013 team when Yogi took like 35 shots. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the ones where you had the game one, or you think you had the game one, and 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 you know Ryan mentioned Illinois. Those are the ones that hurt the most. Um, when you you're you're losing 12 in a row and and you get beat bad uh, in the Archie era. It's yeah. See, the it, only thing I'm saying is to it at that point. But at least with those good teams, if you watch those 40 minutes, you're going to see some good play, even if the end is disappointing. Those games against Michigan and Nebraska, where you're at home and you just get crushed for 40 minutes, I mean, that just makes you question everything about your program. You know, so that's why to me, those are the ones I just want to get rid of those from my mind. Um, cause there's just nothing redeeming about them at all. But, you know, there's, there's different ways to look at that question. And you guys have certainly picked out some very disappointing games that were probably more crushing. Cause in a game like the Michigan game, you'd already seen it happen against Nebraska. I think they lost five in a row. So after two minutes, you're like, well, here we go again. And then you just kind of sit there on your couch for 40 minutes saying, how do I, you know, what do we talk about on the show? You know, it should be a five minute show and then we should go home and drink beer. So. Anyway, all right. That's no, enough right. of that topic. Okay, it's the rest of this here. is going to be happy. Yes, the rest, the rest of this will be good that stuff. I promise. Yeah. That, okay, that sucked. That's why I wanted to get it out of the way early. Yeah, I mean, it's bad enough that you made me do this much prep for the show, let alone that I needed to go and unearth nuggets like what we just had to talk about for the the bad ones. But okay, I, I apologize to everybody for uh, for adding that to the run sheet. Okay, here's a fun one, and there's you know again, this it's kind of based on how you're going to view this, but. What was the greatest individual single game player performance since we've been doing the show? And I think there's so many different ways that you can go with this. So let me just list out the ones that came off the top of my head. Um, and then, you know, you guys will certainly have other ones. 
Victor Oladipo obviously had tons of great individual performances. The one that always sticks out for me is his performance at Michigan State. The first time we'd beaten Michigan State in forever, 19 points, nine boards, five steals, including the game sealer at the end. Now, he had other games with bigger stats, like the Ohio State game and some other ones, but I don't think he ever had a more meaningful game where he made plays to win the game like he did against Michigan State in a close game. Uh, I would put OG Ananobi's performance against Kentucky up there with the best defensive performance I've seen uh, from an Indiana Hoosier where he held Jamal Murray to 16 points on 7 of 18 shooting, but 1 of 9 from 3 and had 3 blocks and 2 steals. That Kentucky team did have the 5th best offense in the country, and Indiana held them to .94 points per possession in large part because OG just took Jamal Murray out of the game, especially early. Jalen Huchofino at Purdue... 40 minutes, 35 points, 14 of 24 from the field, 6 of 7 from the line, 7 that boards, 2 assists, a steal, a block. I mean, well, it's that's that was my winner. After going through all of them, I think that's the best individual performance we've seen, given the stakes and just given how incredible he On played. On the road, as yes. a freshman. Yes. I mean. So, spoiler alert, that's my pick. Um, Trace, I think there's a lot of them um, from this past season. His second, or well, uh, the year before, the second half against Michigan to pull the season back from the brink was an incredible individual performance. Uh, you know, you could really pick a lot of them from this past season, but I think his performance at Illinois and the game at home against Michigan State, where he just absolutely dominated, um, you know, those are certainly two of the just most incredible statistical performances that we've seen. Um, and, you know, again, there are others. And there's some great shooting performances. Like you think about Devontae going 8 of 10 against Ohio State, yeah. Robert Johnson going 9 of 12 from 3. So you've got those, but those aren't really meaningful in a larger sense, whereas I think the other ones were. Um, there was a game I went I, – I took my mom to her first game at Simply Hall, and Yogi had like seven threes against Michigan or something like that. Yep. I don't remember how many it was or how many points, but I just remember feeling like – he came out for the second half and I was just like, oh, he's taking the game over. Yes. Like, and it was, and it was one of the first times you saw Yogi. That was also, that, himself. that was also the game where they put him on Nick Stauskas and probably his that's best right. defensive performance. Yep. So that's a good one. That one, that was what probably year Yogi's was that? best game. That was 20. That was 20. It wasn't 2016. 15? I don't think. I think it was 2015. 2015? Yeah. I'd have to go okay. back and look, but I think it was 2015. Um, so those are the, those are the, and again, I, I know I probably missed some here and Cody had a lot of, you know, really good ones yeah. too, that probably should be mentioned. It's but hard. Once, with I, Cody once I got to Jalen's, once yeah. I got to Jalen's, I kind of stopped looking. Cause I was like, I was like, this is it. This was the best individual performance I've seen. Um, and it's not to take anything away from those other guys, but I mean, what Jalen did that night was just out of this world. Um, you know, especially given the opponent, given the stakes of the game, because Indiana was still, you know, playing for a Big Ten title at that point. Um, so just a just a tremendous performance from Jalen. Twenty, um, I, got, honor, I got very close honorable mention to Victor at Michigan State for me. I got that game February second, uh, twenty fourteen. Yogi had twenty seven, yeah, uh, and they won sixty three fifty two over number ten Michigan. So it was twenty seven. Yep. Yep. And Von Lay had twelve boards. I remember that. That was mm. big. Um, Good job, Noah. Um, all right. Well, Ryan, we'll go to you next here. What is, what do you think is the best individual performance for me? It's Jalen. It really is. I, I like, I, that was the first thing that came to mind when you said this. And I like, I don't think I've seen anything like that from a freshman in on the big stage like that. You'll see guys who play for Kentucky or Duke have like big games against, you know, mid tier opponents, but he went into Mackey, which is a difficult place to play against, were they number one at that point? They were number five at that point. They weren't number one anymore. Yeah, we and just them. completely dominated them. 
And it was so dominant that Trace Jackson Davis, who had eight boards and seven assists, gets completely forgotten in that game. But played I mean, well. Underrated he played very by well. him. He played yes. very well, but it's he played well, and we don't even think about him being in that game. Like I can't remember one highlight from that game with Trace because it was just such about Jalen. And again, you could go with about 10 performances this year from, from Trace as well. I mean, Michigan State, 31-15. Uh, Plus the, the assists and the blocks, too. At I mean. Illinois, 35-9-5. and five. I mean, it just... Yeah, but I got to go with, I got to say uh, that Jalen performance at Purdue is, I mean, I don't think we'll see anything like that for a while from a freshman. Yep. Coach, best individual yeah, performance hard. in a game. I mean, I, I think Hood Shafino has to take it. I, I think Trace at Illinois, I, I was at both of those games, uh, saw it in person. Uh, James Blackman Jr. had to have some big games too, right? It's a um, big shooting you games. go back. He yeah, had some big shooting He had a games. couple that I – there was a Michigan State game. He had 33, hit six threes. Yeah. And then that Kansas game to open the season, he had 26. Yeah, right, right out in Hawaii, right? Uh, yep. Curtis, Curtis Jones had Cur- double digits. Yeah. Curtis big Jones' shot, performance Curtis. in that game might have been the – Yes. That, that was his all-time performance. I, I, I don't know why I've been stuck on 2013, maybe because that was the best team we've had since the AC. Uh, yep. you, you know, we've been doing this show, but – and and Zeller doesn't have the 36, 37-point performances because he was on a team that had seven and eight players, you know, three or yeah. four really good ones and some I other mean, ones, right? I mean, he split it with Oladipo so much, you know. Yeah, and, and uh, back to him. And we're going to come back to him Watford, with some categories coming up. You know, um, so, you know, I keep thinking at the that last two or three minutes where I thought Zeller dominated that Michigan game to win the Big Ten Conference. Again, Huchafino awesome. on the road winning has to take it. For me, the other one would have been Cody Zeller's performance in that 213 because the winning matters. Um, yep. Stats are great. Winning matters. Um, Yogi had a big game at Iowa in that Big Ten Championship game when yes. they clinched it, right? Yeah. So Hit there's the game another winning individual performance. Hit the game winning three deep and scored. That is some how points. you're a so champion. Those um those those games stick out because they were big stat performances in meaningful games, which yeah. Indiana came out on top. Um, yeah, like so I know, that, you know, people have mentioned like Trace's triple double and Juwan Morgan had a triple double, and those were great statistical performances, and they were impressive in the moment, but they don't have the weight of these other ones. Like just because you hit some statistical markers. Yeah. You know they're they're worth honorable mention certainly because you can't get a triple double without being awesome. So I don't want to downplay it, but no, you know, you're I don't. Right. I don't think those are quite the same level as these other ones. Big stats in big moments in games you win yes. is what should matter the most. So. Agree, agree. Andy, right, we'll do. Is there anything we've forgotten, Andy? Uh, there were a couple others that I jotted down. Like I know you mentioned that Devonte Ohio State game. He also had the Iowa and Florida State games Florida the one State year. Games, yeah. uh, the Florida State the, game, the Florida State Iowa awesome, game where he's seven eleven from three <laughs> and was zero for four on twos was tremendous. Um, Juwan Morgan had a couple just amazing ones. Crossroads Classic games for Juwan Morgan. 35 oh, yeah. against Butler, eight yep. of eight on twos, four of six on threes. That's right. He didn't. He didn't have a lot of rebounds or or anything else in that one. Um, and then the Notre Dame one where he played 40 of the 45 minutes, he was 13 of 17 on twos, 34 points and 11 rebounds. So he had a couple good ones. Uh, Yogi had one that I, I remembered, I think Jared, because you somehow like predicted or threw something Maryland out that he was going to hit a bunch of threes against Maryland. His offensive rating in that game was 220. 
Is that he good, seven, Andy? <laughs> he was seven of eight on threes and had 24 points and five assists. So I thought that one was uh I think I like accurately predicted his stat line before the game. You did. Totally you said something about he was going to hit seven threes. It yeah. was it was ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> yeah. And then the TJD one that I, I circled was uh, he obviously had the 43-point game against Marshall two years ago. But this past year, that Illinois game, I mean, just looking at his stats in that game, was 15 of 19 on twos, 35 points, nine rebounds, five assists, three blocks. Um, but yeah, I, I would go with Jalen. This is one of the ones kind of that I was alluding to before. It's like you don't want to be, uh, you know, a prisoner of the moment because it's so close. But then my, you look at that and just Amazing. for him to step up in that scenario, 13 of 22 on two point. I mean, 22 two pointers is not something you get guards taking too much these days, but uh, no. played all 40 minutes. Um, so thank you yeah, for not adjusting every, your defense, Matt Painter. Every time they needed a basket, he was he was there. So and then obviously the, the Robert Johnson was, nine threes game against uh, yeah, against yeah. Iowa, but you know, Hood Shafino was at Purdue, and it was yes. so beautiful at just Purdue. to see the air air just go out of that building every time he rose up to shoot. And would you do after that? No other game. game no other game has elicited the kind of response Shafino! that we got from coach after that game. So yeah, I mean, it was it telling was, in and of itself. That was the best night, man. <laughs> like until the I wee hours of the night, home. we're getting pictures and videos from coach. <laughs> so that, that was a night. You guys haven't seen all our, the videos. Let's just still haven't seen all no. the videos. <laughs> uh, that was some one of our loyal listeners wanted to buy me a beer and walked up to press row and set it down right in front of me. It's like. Dude, I can't take the beard. I had to turn around and gave it to some fan. Oh, that's great. But it was just, you turned to the left and you'd see just the letdown of everyone like, again, again. And then finally it hit the crowd that you're going to get your ass beat because this kid's just having a game. Dude, and one of the best IU basketball pictures ever is that picture of Trace Jackson Davis where he's like leaning in and whispering something to Jalen Huchofino, you know, before the game. Just great. And by the way, Rob Finnessy against Purdue. We need to mention Rob Finnessy, just an out-of-body experience, you know, to break that stupid streak against Purdue. Uh, that certainly goes in there. I know we're probably forgetting some, so let us know on Twitter in the community, you know, what other individual performances, because uh, there have been some great ones, but I just, I don't think anything tops Jalen. I really don't, um, given everything that one meant. Okay, let's talk now about the category that started this. As I said, it was, you know, seeing Robert Johnson and I've long kind of just assumed that he was the most underrated player in this era. And again, you know, some of this is just how you view this question. But, you know, as I look at who are the most underrated players, there's five guys that came to mind. Uh, I'm sure there's others that, you know, that didn't make it here. Uh, I've always thought Romeo was underrated, you know, played hurt a lot of that year, was really good, made a lot of big shots in the wins that Indiana did get. Uh, and played better defense than he was given credit for. Um, did it all, you know, while injured on a sinking ship. So I throw Romeo an underrated. I think Al Durham was a little bit underrated. He played on really bad offenses and had an offensive rating between 101 and 108 his entire career. Now he was not good defensively, um, you know, but I think he made big shots. Was kind of one of the few guys we've had who could threaten the defense at at three levels with his ability to get to the free throw line. And so I think his offense is a little underrated. I think Troy Williams was underrated, especially by the end. You know, the good Troy, bad Troy narrative kind of took hold. But man, in 2016, he was just a dynamic force that the Big Ten had no answer for. Uh, And when Indiana, in a lot of the big games Indiana had there, you look and Troy Williams' fingerprints are all over the victory. Robert Johnson, I think, 
probably the best role player that we've had in this stretch. You know, I think probably a little underqualified to be the lead guy like he was in Archie's first season. But when he could be your third or fourth guy, take the toughest defensive spot and then or toughest defensive matchup and then spot up on offense, uh, you know, on some of those really good offenses he was on, he was terrific. But man, I started looking at this and I think my answer to who's the most underrated player is Cody Zeller, honestly. I think Cody Zeller gets forgotten a little bit. And, and let me let me defend this. I saw the face, Ryan. Let me defend this, and then you can you can debate it. He was top 10 in Ken Palm Player of the Year each season, but he gets overshadowed a little bit by Victor Oladipo's ascension and how much of a fan favorite that Victor was. And Victor was, you know, national player of the year as a junior, and rightfully so. Cody Zeller wasn't even an All-American as a freshman, despite having an offensive rating of 126. You know, he contributed on defense. He did everything and basically turned the program around with his presence and kind of gave Victor kind of the platform and the foundation for him to grow and do what he did. And I think also, you know, because Cody was drafted high and his NBA career didn't really pan out besides just being kind of a role player off the bench, I think it's easy to forget how good and how impactful he was. And so the reason I say Cody is I just think, and especially since it's kind of a decade ago, I just think he gets lost a little bit too much in the shuffle than he should, because I think he's, you know, one of the, uh, you know, absolute best players we've had in this era. And I think sometimes he just gets overshadowed, you know, behind guys like Victor and guys like Trace. Um, so again, it's kind of how you look at this, how you look at this question. Um, and maybe this is more kind of outside of the fan base than inside of the fan base, but I just think Cody was so good I don't think he gets enough credit um, that he deserves. And so I think he falls into the underrated category a little bit. And if it wasn't him, um, I think after looking at this, I would probably go with Troy Williams slightly over Robert Johnson. Um, But those two guys would be my next two underrated players. So I don't know. And and again, you can debate this. Like Valerie said, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And so maybe you you think that's kind of just a bad premise to look at this. I just think to me, it's a recognition of just how much he meant. And I'm just not sure he gets enough credit because of, because again, just of how much of a just skyrocketing superstar Victor was as a junior. And it's easy for Cody to get overlooked. I get what you're saying. I, I disagree because I think if you ask any Indiana person, they'll tell you, Oh yeah, Cody was great. Now maybe they not don't know how great that's what there are. That's what I mean. That's there are players who get forgotten though, that were huge parts of the program. Agree. Like Verdell Jones was up Verdell there was hard list. because most of his career was before we started the show. But, but yeah, that's a okay, good point. That's fine that you can move him out. But, but Verdell was underrated, like, no question. A guy who was really underrated in hindsight is Nick Zeisloft. What he did for that offense by having a floor spreader, and we've seen it over the last what six years, what it's not what it's like to not have a knockdown consistent three point shooter. See, I think I mean, Zeisloft is properly rated because of what came after him, and I think it's made people appreciate him. So that's why I didn't uh, add him. But I, I see what you're yeah. saying. But I no, saying. I, I just think that he was huge for that team. He was also a big time leader. They all talked about that. And he, his defense got much better as he was when he was here. When he started, he was terrible defensively. He got much better defensively. Um, I know it's one year, but Max Bielfeld is a huge one. People forget. I mean, we talked about it at the time, how impactful he was and how huge it was to have him with, with Thomas Bryant, you know, and he, you know, he gets forgotten. The ability to stretch the floor as a big man. I mean, Indiana has rarely had that. Um, but 
Yeah, I think I, I do think that mine is Nick Zaislav because I, I agreed with Troy the Troy Williams thing because I think people forget. I you know a guy who's who's underrated again, awesome. again a lot of his career, a, a couple years of his career. Happened, Christian Watford is like a top ten scorer all time in Indiana history. Like one. he's, I mean, I, I you know what I'm gonna, but people remember him because of the watch shot. Yeah, but they forget how good his career was. He was never the number one, but he was incredible and had a great career like an all-timer. Um, so I, yeah, it, this was a really tough one for me. I think Zyslav people forget. I do think they forget. So that's why I put him mm-hmm. at, at number one. But I think it, it, there is a number of answers that you could convince me are correct here, I think. Uh, Andy, uh, you're going to like this answer from Greg. He says left-handed Stanford Robinson. <laughs> what about right-handed Stanford Robinson? Did he make the list? No, or no? definitely not. No. <laughs> we, All right, I got to go, guys, I, by the way. <laughs> All right. Thanks for everybody. Go read Ryan's article at the big lead, the big lead.com. Give him clicks. Thanks. Ryan. Guys. Appreciate it, man. Yep. <laughs> Andy, we held on to Stan Robinson. We were the last two that were, that were there believing in him there at the end. I, we, I think we even took a victory lap when he played well in the NCAA tournament for <laughs> Rhode did. Island. So we did. I, I, yeah, we remained vindicated in our beliefs about him. We did. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, Andy, how about you? Underrated, most underrated. Uh, you know, I had, I had written down a number of the guys that, that you and Ryan had mentioned, you know, Robert Johnson, I, I always was one that in the right role, um, was, was such a good fit for what they needed. As you said, you know, take the, take the toughest defensive assignment to, you know, leave a little bit, uh, take a little bit of the pressure off of the other guard, but also just be able to step out and, and knock down threes. And I, I, you know, continue to go back to, you know, his injury, while certainly not on the level of some other uh, famous <laughs> injuries and in, or infamous, I guess, injuries in IU basketball history, I, I do think him missing that. And I, I forget who it was that, that they've interviewed since then. Yeah, that talked it, it about was Max. Like, that. We, was, we talked with him and he told us, that, okay. you know, Robert, Robert Johnson was the bulldog, one of the MVPs and how much that loss, how much they missed him. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go with, I'll go with him. And you know, the, the only other guy that I, I wrote down that, that we didn't talk about yet, and this is probably untrue on, on some level, but was, was Jordan holes. Like, I think everybody looks at him as kind of like a, you know, the hometown kid. And, um, but I don't, I, I think it underscores how good he, he really was. And even though he wasn't the headliner on those teams, like the role that he played and, um, you know, just his consistency from a shooting perspective, he wasn't getting the headlines of the, old depots and the Zellers and wasn't as, as flashy, but uh, you know, I think you look past some of the just inherent fondness for him for being an Indiana kid and, and whatever. But I think you look at from a leadership standpoint, as you, you hear guys interviewed from that era and just kind of what he brought from that side of things. So, you know, his, his scoring and, and other contributions were solid, but I think, you know, his impact probably went a little bit beyond that and maybe doesn't get, credit for some of those kinds of things but i do think he's also so beloved from an iu perspective it's hard to kind of say he's underrated um and and kind of where that that fits in as well but he was he was the only guy that you that we haven't talked about that i had jotted down well and i think that's part of the overall theme that i was that i was kind of thinking is that season by victor and his growth over three years has just become kind of the lasting narrative of those seasons that I think those other great players do get, they don't, they're not forgotten. I mean, everybody recognizes how great those guys are. I just don't think they get talked about as much now because Victor kind of takes up so much of that. And, you know, Victor was amazing. So in some ways, rightfully so, but you know, Christian and Jordan and Will Sheehy and and Cody and what all those guys meant, 
it was just such a great team. I mean, I just, I love going back and rethinking about those teams and looking at the box scores because it was just such a well-constructed group. Um, and we'll come back to them later in another category. Um, but coach, who gets your vote for most underrated? I think my official vote's going to go for Robert Johnson, but th- there's been a few uh, that I thought of that some people in the, in the chat have, have mentioned as well. Um, I think Juwan Morgan, uh, overshadowed by OG and what OG has gone on to do in the pros. And, and you look back in his early career and then late you had Romeo and you had some struggles. Uh, I thought he, he got a lot out of his ability while at IU played four years. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think he's there for me personally. Uh, it's Verdell Jones. I, I was not a big fan of his when he was playing. And then, you know, he got hurt that year and to, and to understand what he did and helping get the program back onto its feet. That's a personal, un, you know, uh, underappreciated player for me that I wish I had taken more time while yeah. he was wearing the uniform. And I'll, I'll always, I, I don't have a lot of regrets in my life, but as an IU fan, my attitude towards Verdell and his turnovers or his missed shots or whatever. Um, I think I totally missed the boat on, on Verdell um, and, and would love to buy him a beer and a steak at, at Zagreb's one time and thank him because uh, what he did coming to Indiana w- was, was tremendous. So that, that's, that's a situation. Yeah. Um, and then Will Sheehy, um, you know, his last year didn't go very well in in 14, but she was just that, that, that ass, you know, that everyone didn't like <laughs> that glued all the talent together and kind of took the pressure off. Cause he was the one flexing. He was the one talking trash. Um, and I, I think that that's a value on a basketball program, especially when you have a lot of stars to have that ultimate glue guy, but the glue guy with an edge, um, Yep. I, I appreciate that, but sometimes in the stat world and the highlight world, players like that, um, I, I I think Indiana wins without him, but I don't think Indiana was as good without him uh, in that strong run in, in 12 and 13. No, he's one of those essential role players that was a perfect fit. And then in 2014, you know, maybe got overexposed a little bit, playing a role that yep. he wasn't quite suited for. I mean, Coach, it's a great point about Verdell. You know, and, and and I know only one of his years was, you know, kind of in this, and that was his senior year. I mean, I don't know that I've ever been – well, I mean, obviously, you know, there have been some other injuries. But, you know, since we've been doing the show, I don't know that I've ever just felt like someone just jabbed me in the stomach like when he got hurt in the Big Ten tournament. You know, because – his three years, I mean, he was just, he was miscast as trying to be this leading guy on this program that was just destitute. And he took the ire and frustration of so many IU fans. And then it felt like his senior year, you know, people started to understand and appreciate more what he brought to the table. And he's part of the watch shot. And he just, he was finally surrounded by good players, you know, and then for him to not be able to to go on with them. It was just devastating. Um, and I've, I've been, I'm always so heartened by the fact that, I mean, Verdell's become a fan favorite now. You know, I really think so because I think Indiana fans have a lot of reaction like you had. And and I think myself too, it's like, man, we were unfair to him, you know? So that's a really good one. Um, okay. The best individual season. And there's only a few nominees for this one. I think Victor in 2013, obviously, he was National Player of the Year. He was terrific. I would actually, if I was going to pick one of Cody's two seasons, I would actually pick his first season in 2012, um, where he was you know, he was number three in the Ken Palm Player Rater that year, just to give you an idea. 
did not make any of the All-America teams, which is crazy when you consider he had an offensive rating of 126.9 for the whole season playing at high usage, a true shooting percentage of 66.5% because, I mean, his two-point percentage was ridiculous that year, 4.3 block rate, 2.8 steal rate, just to give you an idea of his you know, just contributions up and down the stat sheet. And his presence completely changed the trajectory of the program. Um, so I certainly think that needs to get mentioned. I would say Yogi's season in 2016 certainly warrants some mention just in terms of his growth and everything he did from a statistical perspective. And then Trace in 2023, you know, it's all fresh in our minds. And it's fresh in our minds. And I just went back to look at the stats and I was surprised again by how amazing it was. I mean, just the rebounding, the blocks, the assists, first team All-American doing all of this with his point guard hurt. I know he wasn't, you know, player of the year and, and Victor was. I'm giving my vote to Trace. I just think it was the best individual performance that we've seen given the context of playing injured and losing Xavier Johnson and just what that season was. It's not to take anything away from Victor. And if you want to argue for Victor, I won't, you know, I think that's fine. I could definitely see an argument for Cody's uh, freshman season too. I just think what Trace did last season, I mean, he put up stats that we just haven't seen and they were meaningful because he was carrying the program on his back and, you know, kept the momentum of the Mike Woodson era going uh, and just fully realized his incredible potential, whereas he'd been up and down the first three years. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's prisoner of the moment. I'll, you know, if you want to throw that claim out there, I'm, I'm not going to, um, I, I don't have a great argument against it, except to just say, go look at the stats, uh, you know, and just remember the impact. Um, and really, to me, it almost kind of starts in the Big Ten tournament last year and then kind of leads into this. But I think Trace's individual performance this season was just incredible and the best one that we've seen since we've been doing the show. Um, with, with Victor, a very, very close second, because what Victor did his junior year was unbelievable as well. So uh, if you want to argue for him, I'm totally cool with that. Uh, Coach, who gets your best individual performance? I'll throw out Victor so Andy gets to break the tie, but I am with you on Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, but I, I go with Victor just to stay with my method of he had a great year, was player of the year, and Indiana was a one seed. Yeah. Um, however, Fair. I can make that application of winning. Like if, if Trace doesn't have the year that he has statistically, Indiana doesn't win as many games as they have in a quick rebuild under Mike Woodson. So, yeah, they didn't win the Big Ten uh title they didn't advance to the sweet 16 like uh that team in 2013 but he single-handedly didn't have the talent around him either that um Vic had so that was kind of the tiebreaker for me yeah I can I totally understand that and just for the heck of it to see who Andy picks I I went with with (laughs) Victor but you can't beat those two performances and and really the close third is Zeller because Indiana went to sweet 16 in, in in 12 in a great statistical year for Cody Zeller. So big stats in big winning moments. Uh, and, and the negative on Trace on that is they didn't get to the Sweet 16, but yet he didn't have the talent around him and had everything on him as a fourth-year player. That pressure was immense. What an outstanding performance by Trace Jackson Davis. So um, I'm going to vote for uh, Victor, but I totally see where um, it could be Trace. All right, Andy, all pressure to you. 
Oh, gee, thanks. Break the tie. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was. Uh, I, I did the same thing as you. I think I expected that I I would have said Zeller's sophomore year over his freshman year, but really from an offensive rating standpoint, you know, he did have a couple more rebounds or about a rebound and a half more a game, about a point more a game uh, as a sophomore. But I think what he did as a freshman was almost more you know impressive. Sixty two percent on twos. If you haven't looked uh, at his stats, go look. It's as yeah. a freshman in college basketball, it's mind-boggling, honestly. Yeah, and a guy that did did so much, and that's when you talk about Yogi's that year. He played tons of minutes uh, in that 2016 season, hit 42% from three, uh, did a lot of things there. I guess I'm probably just stalling uh, in order for to, you know, to make the other decision. Um, you know, I tended to lean TJD. I think maybe that would be, you know, realistically, we – we look at the the 2013 team. They did win the Big Ten title. That's certainly something that this year's IU team did not uh, accomplish. From an NCAA tournament standpoint, though, they only won one more game than than this year's iteration. With you know, I think uh, you know, it's a little bit more talent to take some of the pressure off of him. And I think it, you just I, I just was dumbfounded looking back at some of these. I mean, almost 21 points a game, almost 11 rebounds, four assists, which is you know more than what Oladipo had. Uh, even you know from his guard spot, and Oladipo had two point two steals. Trace had two point nine blocks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, offensive rating. You know, Victor was was better overall. But you just look at all the different areas statistically where Trace ranked nationally um, using Ken Palm. I did most of my research on there, and just, I mean, just pretty amazing what he did to contribute to winning for a guy whose game wasn't particularly diverse. And everybody knew coming in, they could game plan around him every single night. And I don't think you could do that with Victor because you knew you had other guys that were there. It speaks to some of the talent component. And pretty much on a night-in, night-out basis, he produced. Um, And again, kind of another example I talked about before, it's like it's so hard to look at some of these and be like, "Eh, maybe I just don't remember that season well enough Um, and how you kind of put things into context that are 10 years apart. But... Uh, so I, I would lean TJD's season last year. Uh, again, I think there's some good choices. Juwan Morgan had a couple really good years, but I think if you look at overall just winning and getting to the tournament and some of those things, it, it doesn't rise to the level of um, of the couple that we talked about. I mean, with the season teetering on the brink, you know, after Indiana loses those three Big Ten games, Trace goes on a streak of being named Ken Palm Big Ten MVP in 13 out of 18 games. And two of the games that he wasn't were Jalen against Purdue, <laughs> you know, and it was just, it was incredible. It really was. And it's, it's a season that is going to age incredibly well. Cause you go back and those numbers just, I mean, again, you know, Indiana didn't win anything. I mean, they made the NCAA tournament, but that's not to coach your point. That's not Trace's fault. Trace did everything he could. And it was just, it was so rewarding to see, you know, from a senior who we had, you know, just seen grow up right before our eyes. Um, okay, so let's, Andy, I know this is the last one that you can do. Let's do the best eight-man rotation that you can make with players since 2011. Um, so the best eight-man rotation, um, I'll lead it off, I guess. And it was this one was just really difficult, especially when some of them are easy. But when you get down to the five spot and what you do. So it's an eight-man rotation to basically play you know, a, a basketball game today. Right. So who are you going to pick? So I ended up going with and I'm, you know, again, I'm sure you can argue this in a lot of different ways. I think your lead guard is obvious. Yogi's going to be your point guard. There's no question there. Victor's going to be on there somewhere as a wing. 
Uh, I'm putting OG on there because of what he can do defensively and his three-point shooting came around so he can space the floor. I think Christian Watford is basically the perfect modern four-man, you know, with the way that he defended in 2013, his ability to step out and shoot threes. And I really agonized over, do you put Trace or Cody as the center with that group? And I ended up siding with Trace because I think that group needs the rim protection. Um, And so you put a lineup together with Victor, OG, and Trace. Defensively, you're going to be dynamite. But then you've also got the shooting with Victor, OG, and and Watford to space the floor to where Trace is going to be able to do what he needs to do on offense. Um, and, and given, you know, I'm kind of looking at each guy at their best. So I'm thinking of senior year trace. So my starting lineup is Yogi, Victor, OG, uh, Christian Watford and trace my bench. Obviously Cody's the first guy off the bench. He's your backup big. Um, I'm putting Xavier Johnson on my bench because I think he's the next best point lead guard that we've had. And he's an excellent defender. So I want that guy coming off my bench. And then with apologies to Jordan holes and will Sheehy and Troy Williams and Robert Johnson and Thomas Bryant, and Jalen hood Shafino and a lot of other guys, Romeo is my next guy off the bench because he's the most dynamic wing scorer um, and also a good defender. And so you could plug him in, you know, kind of anywhere there uh, in the two and three spots. So that's my lineup. It's Yogi, Victor, OG, Christian Watford, and Trace with Cody, Xavier Johnson, and Romeo off the bench. Maybe just further proving why Cody is underrated by him being on my bench and not being a starter uh, here. And so, you know, coach, I'll let you go next. Maybe there's a really good argument for something I'm totally overlooking. I just think that's the, it's not necessarily the best five players. I think it's the best lineup composition to me because of the shooting and what they can do defensively. Yeah. I think the only change I would make Jared is putting hood Shafino as the backup point guard. I I think hood Shafino, I love what X does and X has a style all his own, but I, I think Hood Shafino in today's game is more of a scoring point guard. Um, he had to score more than facilitate, um, but with that squad, he could facilitate with his vision and his size. Um, you know, you you would want to put Jordan Halls on there. You know, uh, you would want to put Robert Johnson on there, as we've talked about. I think for what he does, but um, yeah, Trace Jackson Davis has to start. Cody Zeller coming back. The four spot is, is you know, um, we haven't really, you know, unless you want to put Derek Elston on there for team camaraderie. Um, I mean, you could you could slide OG to the four and then put, you know, yeah. someone else up there. So that that would be perfectly fair. I just, I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, Christian Watford's defense and rebounding are underrated, especially by, you know, yeah. his, the end of his career. So I think he would do well there. But there's, you know. And, and maybe, maybe Jawan Morgan playing that four, four spot. Now you got two non-shooters, and we're back to yeah. I just couldn't do and that. We're back to that double post. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I, I liked your lineup. I, I would put Hood Shafino for Xavier Johnson. That's fair. Uh, That's the only change I would make. Perfectly reasonable. Andy, what did you decide? Yeah, I was pretty. I was pretty close to you. Guys. I'd never actually finished this one. I kind of had a list of probably about ten guys. Uh, I think that I had in there. I, I think the kind of six that feel like no brainers to a certain extent would be Zeller, TJD, OG, Watford, Oladipo and Yogi. And then I think you could, I, I really struggle with Romeo and not because he wasn't effective at IU. I think I'm just so jaded by how wildly underwhelming uh, his year was that uh, in some ways, I think it's hard uh, to contextualize like where he would be 
I, I did from a versatility standpoint have Huchifino because I it felt like you looked and you're a little bit short on like true wings outside of you know an OG at the three and Huchifino gives you a little bit of flexibility uh, from that standpoint. I guess theoretically yeah. that's kind of where you have Romeo slotted in there uh, as well. I, I thought about Juwan Morgan. I think had he been able to consistently shoot the three, he would have been an interesting front court option because he was a guy that could do so many different things. But I think you get kind of a log jam of of bigs at that point. Um, so, and I almost kind of leaned holes just because of the shooting. Uh, gave you another ball handler. You couldn't really play him with Yogi, even though they played together a lot. But um, if you really need somebody to spot up and shoot, I was kind of inclined to go with him. So I guess if I had to. You know, forced to pick, I'd say Zeller, TJD, OG, Watford, Oladipo, Yogi, Holes, and Hutchfina. Uh, How I about Blackman the- off the bench? Instant offense, like a Vinny Johnson. Yeah. You know, the backup shooter, if you wanted to put him in there instead of Romeo for sure. Yeah, he sur- would certainly sur- be a guy to fill out the line, to fill out the roster with so that you could use. Right. There's no question. You got to surround him with your, your good defensive lineups. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe the one thing, I mean, obviously Yogi was an elite shooter. Victor was a good shooter. OG was, you know, an okay shooter by, you know, by his sophomore year. Watford was a really good shooter. You know, that might be kind of the one weakness. And maybe it's apropos is that you don't have the elite shooter there. And that's maybe where Blackman could fit in. But then what do you give <laughs> if up? If you look down these years, there's not a lot of guys you would categorize well, as elite shooters. You know, when you think about it, I mean, Blackman was on that 2016 team. And that team took off after Blackman got hurt. Now, I don't yeah. necessarily think that it was because of that, but you know, it's like guys fell into their roles a little bit better, the defense solidified. You know, so, so Blackman's a hard one. I mean, I think Blackman's a terrific player, excellent at what he did, but I think when you start making lineups, you know, you want to be good on the other side of the ball too. Um, you know, and so I think we have enough guys, you know, like a Victor who kind of do both things and and an OG that he kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but he's certainly a guy you'd want on your roster (laughs) to be able to throw in when you need it. So that's an interesting one. Um, all right. And then who's the best player since we've been doing the show. If you just say, if someone just asked you who is the best player and you can take that kind of however you want, what would you to me? It's Victor because of what he could do on both ends of the court. Um, you know, and I know we just said trace had the best season, but I just think Victor could do the most things. And in modern basketball, a wing who can score at all three levels, attack the basket like almost no one we've ever seen, and then play just maniacal defense and be an emotional leader, I think Victor's the best player that we've had. And with apologies to Cody and Trace and Yogi and and some other guys, and obviously OG has had the best you know NBA career, but we didn't get to see all that in college. Um, well, I mean, it, actually, Victor had the best NBA career. Um, I think it's I think it's Victor, Coach. What do you say? I, I'm with you on that. From athletic ability to defense, offense to being a presence in the game, uh, you know, obviously we respect a ton of these guys who've played since uh, Assembly Call has been doing this. But yeah, Victor has to be the best overall player, Andy. Yeah, I think so. You, it's always the interesting conversation of, you know, longevity versus, uh, you know, maybe the highest peaks in a shorter period of time. And so you've got, you know, two four year all time greats in, in Yogi and TJD there. 
Um, but there was just something different about Oladipo in that season. Um, and, and like you said, just from a versatility standpoint, ways he could, uh, impact the game. Yeah. I would, I would lean toward him. Um, but, but hard to figure out what's the, what's the balance of, you know, a couple really, I know he was there three years, but really a couple years of, of really, really impactful play yeah. versus a guy who, you know, like Trace, who did it year in, year out, um, and things like that. But I just think from a, you know, diversity of, of his game, it feels like Oladipo's the, the answer on that one. It, you know, I can see someone might say, well, how could you pick Trace as the best individual performance? you know, over Victor's junior year, if you think Victor was the best player, I guess the way I look at it is if, if you're, if I'm asked to start a team, who's the first guy I'm picking for my team from the guys that we've had since 2011, I just think it's Victor because I think what he does is the most valuable. He brings the most valuable traits in college basketball, just, you know, just in terms of, of everything that he can do. So that's where the difference is. Um, you know, and I think there's other contextual things that come into what was the best individual season, but just, Player for player, you know, to me, Victor's the guy that I would pick first. But it's close. I mean, there's, you know, it hasn't been a, you know, a banner era of IU basketball, but there have been some really, really good players and good performances, um, you know, which makes it hard. Uh, Andy, do you want to hang and just do these last ones if we do them quick or do you need to bounce? Uh, I, I probably got to run, uh, but uh, I will, I'll definitely listen into what the, what you guys have to say about it and go from there. I think I, Oh, these are the ones that people put in the chat. These are also the ones I didn't really research. So, you know, oh, it'll probably there be, you go. let myself, I'll let myself off the hook, but uh, <laughs> no, awesome. It was, it was a good topic. Good trip down memory lane for sure. For, well, except for the one question, it was a good trip down. Memory yeah. Lane. <laughs> Give Hannah a high five for all of us. All right. We'll do. I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks. Cool, man. All right, coach, let's roll through these last ones real quick. Um, let's see. Did I skip over one? All right. Now, this is from Josiah. And I thought this was a really interesting one. If you could change the result of any one on-court moment from a negative to a positive, what moment would you change and what would the ripple effect be? You know, and so there's there, there's a few different ways. Obviously, there's injuries that you could, you know, overturn, especially if they happened in a game. You know, maybe there's a last-second result that goes one way. Like if, you know, I remember the home game against Purdue that, I mean, Indiana just played some of the best defense I've ever seen, that 48-46 game. I don't know that I've seen an Indiana team play that hard on defense since then or, or not since then, but I mean, it was just an incredible performance. And, you know, we've talked bad about the Archie era a lot. There were some performances that were good, but Indiana loses 48, 46 because Matt Harms with a stupid tip in. I would love to go back and change that one. Cause I thought Indiana deserved to win that game. Um, but I just don't think that's impactful enough. And so for me, it kind of came down to two injuries. One was X's injury against Kansas because I would love to see what last season would have been with a fully healthy X. No, three. Verdell Jones injury in 2012 um, because he deserved to be able to play in the NCAA tournament. And maybe that makes a difference against Kentucky. I don't know that it does. That Kentucky team was unbelievable, obviously. And I know when we beat them once and played them hard for a half, but you know, I think the ultimate result probably would have stayed the same. I think for me, it's Jordan Hull's shoulder injury against Temple. You know, Indiana ends up winning that game. You know, Jordan goes 0 for 5 against Syracuse. If you have a healthy Jordan Hulls and he can make a few of those threes, you know, I know we think back about that Syracuse game and it was just such a disaster from the beginning. You know, Indiana only lost by 11. And if you have a guy out there who can, you know, shoot and, and, you might say, well, they were really long and he might not have been able to get a shot off anyway. Yeah, maybe, but it's Jordan Hulls and he can take shots from anywhere and make them. 
to me, that's the one that could have had the biggest impact. Because if he's out there and makes some shots and that game changes, as we've said, if you find some way to win that game, you have a legit shot that that team wins a national championship. And so I would want to give that team every possible chance to do it. So I would change that and go into the Syracuse game with a healthy Jordan Hulse. I, I think that's the the essence of the question is why that is so important um, is because that changes the whole tenor of the Tom Crean era. God. I, I think the next year you, you lose that game and, and that pressure of being a one seed. And then the next year the recruiting doesn't work out. That team doesn't work out as well. And then, you know, you, you get back to the tournament in 15 and 16 but all of a sudden he's a little different too. He's not, he wasn't as confident as he was early. And, and some of the, some of his personality problems that came to fruition later with the scheduling and, and some of this off the court stuff, I think was because the pressure to atone for that and keep building Indiana back. And, and, and he had that momentum and then it slipped away and it just seemed like he kept grasping uh, and, and then he was howling at things outside the program for that frustration. I think that really took an effect on, on Coach Crean because Coach Crean worked hard. He knew basketball. He obviously brought Indiana back to doing things the right way. There's a lot of positives about Coach Crean, but we all have kind of a an odd taste in our mouth about how he, you know, the last four years uh, that he was here, and then obviously the replacement didn't work at all. Um, so – Nope. That injury, if that had a component to the loss, uh, again, if Indiana goes on to win that national championship, there's, you know, it, it could have still gone south. The, there's no absolute there. But I think the essence of the question was what on-court thing really would you go back and change and then what would be the po- po- outcome? I think that's that's huge if that had had a, a piece in it. But there, there's a lot of – there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, Romeo's injury too, is, is that different if he has full use of that thumb and, and, and can dominate and that year's different? Uh, does that get some recruiting advantage uh, for Archie, who his personality was the reason that he didn't win at Indiana? So that was going to go probably downhill no matter what, but maybe not. You know, so injuries, I think, are the one thing. The ball bounces funny ways. Officials calls, you can go back and – probably find some close games where there was a something that happened, but injuries have the biggest impact on what happens that season. And then maybe yeah. the next season rolling down. So, um, I, I think all three of those are, are very good answers. You know, you're right. I think we, Indiana fans have had kind of a weird taste in their mouths from the Korean era. And I, you know, I feel like we're now getting to the point where most of us are able to you know, recognize and remember and honor the good stuff and kind of start forgetting about the bad stuff. And by the way, Kareem getting on Twitter and interacting has been great because he's such a great guy to interact with about basketball. You know, I asked him a question on Twitter earlier this week and he gave a real thoughtful answer. Um, And I think it's time, it's time to bring him back and honor some of those teams and make sure, you know, for whatever it is, like Tom Kareem's an important figure in the history of Indiana basketball and gave us the two best two big two 10 be- championships. Well, and the two best groups of players that we've had. I mean, certainly, you know, that one season under Samson with, you know, with, uh, with Eric and, and DJ white. I mean, that team was unbelievable and might've won a national championship. Who knows if they got to play that season out, but outside of that, I mean, since Bob Knight, 
I mean, those teams of Crane have been the best groups and, and Tom Crane deserves all kinds of credit for that. And so I think it's time to bring him back and honor those teams and make sure that he knows that he's, you know, I know there was all that talk about lack of alignment and everything when he left. And when something goes south, there's going to be hard feelings, but it's time to bring him back and embrace him as an important part of Indiana basketball history and those teams and everybody, his everybody basketball. has, everybody's embraced the players. Like there's no problem there, yeah. but I think he needs to be a part of it. You know, enough time has passed now, you know, and hopefully he feels that way. So I would certainly be on board with with that and, and doing something at Assembly Hall to honor those teams and him. I think he deserves yeah. it. His basketball mind and, and his enthusiasm for his programs are, are absolutely remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the leadership stuff got in the way and, and some of his personality with interacting with people in and out of the program. You know, it got, everything we do, Jared, in life, I'm a firm believer is relationships, you know, yep. at work, uh, in your teams, in your marriages, everything is how do you, how do you deal with people? Uh, it's not necessarily what you know or, or what, what the results were, but sometimes it, it he just had a, he just had some times there, whatever it was, uh, it, it wasn't intentional, but it, there's just some friction outside of the X's and O's. But as far as the X's and O's and then recruiting players, he did a fantastic job um, for Indiana basketball yeah. for a long time. And yeah, and, and, and when the, when those relationship things and that off the court thing started impacting the, the X's and O's, that's when the decision had to and be. And it impacted the recruiting had, had too, because to be the recruiting got yeah. really up and down after that too. No, yeah. it, you know, from from 2014 on, I mean, Indiana basically had two really good months in 2016. Well, and a really good month in 2017 too, or a good month and a half before that went south. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, the the length of time. That's probably what it was. And then obviously at Georgia, you know, he he struggled, but though, you know, you can't take away those teams, and he built those teams, you know, and so yeah. and he built a team at Marquette too. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The X's and O's yeah. and knowing how to recruit, but the, that, that other piece just fell apart and then it affected the, the stuff that he does well, yeah. got affected by what he didn't do well, or yeah. he let bother him in, in my opinion. Um, but I do think that he has a place in Indiana basketball, as you said, to honor, uh, the success that we have, have had. Um, yeah, I guess point you know, being like, years. I think just any hard feelings and a lot of the negative stuff, there's been enough time now. A lot of that's faded away. I don't think about the 2014, 2015 and 2017 seasons. I just don't. I think about the great teams that, you know, that he was a part of bringing us. So, um, all right. Last question here. This is from Brian. Uh, this was a really fun one to research. And when I got done to the end of my research, the answer was clearly obvious. Uh, so he says, which player in the AC era that IU knowingly attempted to recruit and didn't get, do you wish IU had secured caveat? The player you pick would play at IU for as long as they played at the school they ended up going to. So look, there's a lot of, a lot of guys got offers, all that stuff. I looked at this as a guy had to take an official visit. So it needed to be kind of serious, um, on both sides. And, you know, so I went to 24-7, and I don't know, you know, they've got a thing. You can go year by year and look at offers, visits, and so I I don't, sometimes the visits seemed a little bit light, so I don't know if they had all the visits listed there, but, you know, as you kind of go down, Kyle Filipowski was a guy who visited Indiana didn't get. He certainly would have been a a welcome addition on last year's team. We all remember the Darius Garland recruitment. 
Um, now, if we're going to go strictly by Brian's question, we would have only had Garland for like, you know, two weeks because he got hurt at Vanderbilt and didn't play. But certainly seeing him and Romeo play together would have been interesting. Uh, Bruce Brown is another guy that took an official visit to Indiana that I just love as a player, went to Miami. Um, and so we would have had him. He would have been a freshman in 2017. So I, I assume he would have taken Curtis Jones spot. Um, maybe not on the roster, but certainly in the lineup. Because, I mean, he stepped right on campus and was really good, you know, offensively, you know, good rebounder, good defensive metrics. But then the obvious one. And, you know, Aaron Henry is another guy. And so there's some other guys. The obvious answer to this is Gary Harris. He was exactly what the 2013 team needed. Stepped on campus at Michigan State as a freshman in 2013, shot 41.1% from three as a senior you know, put him on that team with what they already had and have him against Syracuse. That's the obvious answer to me is Gary Harris. What, what was the reason he did not go? Was it, he just liked Michigan state or was there something that went I don't on remember at, at Indiana that I feel like there's some kind of funky recruiting story there. And I don't remember yeah, enough. If I, I remember, right, I don't want to speculate and tell a wrong story. Cause I don't remember all the details. Right. I do not know, but it seems to me, my memory was something didn't, go right or yeah. maybe there was an emphasis for two or three other players and he was the fourth and so he wasn't you know felt yeah, it was something 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 I don't remember. funky why he didn't uh he didn't need that's a great that that's a really good one and i hardly stay up with recruiting as it is on the current team let alone no you know last 11 years <laughs> well of, i needed 24 we 7 i would not have remembered this yeah. if i didn't get to go back and look um, at who took a visit there there, uh, there was some big ones before assembly call radio obviously yes you know um odin and conley and oh boy may oh boy but um yeah Mark Titus. 12 years. Recruited this- him. Titus. <laughs> How's he doing on his show? I haven't tuned into his new show. I, I have it in my podcast feed. I got good. Yeah. Good. Go I mean, I try to, you know, listen to him and Tate doing their doing their separate stuff. It seems like they're doing well. It's an interesting time for Mark because I mean everybody knows him as a college basketball guy. Um, and so that that you know, he's not my go-to for NFL talk and other talk. So I am right. I'm curious, you know, kind of how how that's going for him. But as college basketball season comes closer, it kind of gets back in his wheelhouse. So, but I, you know, I wish success for both those guys. They're both terrific. Uh, All right. Well, coach, that is all the superlatives I had. Uh, You, you know, those of you who are listening again, if you're in the community, I'm going to start posting these so you can put your thoughts. And, you know, if you agree with us, if you disagree with us, if there's, you know, examples or players that we forgot here, you'll have your chance in the community. And if you're uh, you know, listening on the podcast and you want to, uh, you know, chime in with your thoughts on Twitter. Yeah. I still call it Twitter and just cannot call it X. I also like, I listened to the crimson cast and Gan was trying to call it X. You can't do that right now on an Indiana podcast because X is Xavier Johnson. So whenever you say X, people think you're talking about Xavier Johnson. And so, <laughs> plus it's just stupid that they renamed it X, but whatever. Um, so Twitter. Um, so yeah, if you have thoughts, let us know there. Uh, coach, I thought we thoughts? should just be C. C. <laughs> just just C. C. Just change the for the call. <laughs> just a C. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really think that. I just threw that stupid comment out because well, we've been on for two hours. Makes about as much sense as X. Oh boy! All right, coach. Any uh, any brilliant thoughts? Any wise words to leave the folks with here as we do a 
two hour off season podcast. <laughs> two hours. This was fun though, man. You know what? It was. It was. I, a I have to great say, topics. I have to say, you know, to me, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is I think it was a chance for us to honor all the great players and teams that we've had the privilege of talking about, and even the Archie years that were terrible to watch overall from a basketball standpoint. You had players and coaches that were working hard. It didn't work for personality reasons, strategic reasons, injuries, like all these different reasons. But man, it was really fun going back and reliving this. Um, because if you don't have coaches and players that are, you know, working hard and, you know, and, and trying to put a winning product out there, we don't have anything to talk about, you know? And if, if that, you know, 2011 12 team wasn't so much fun, we may not still be here doing it. We just kind of lucked into that being the first season. And it being so much fun. So I know sometimes we get on here and, you know, we're critical and whatever, but I just, you know, I think this was a good chance to honor some of the great players that have come around that, that we've had a chance to talk to and watch them play basketball. Um, Cause ultimately that's, it's fun and it gives all of us here in the community and listening and in the chat, something to kind of come together and, and, you know, and have something to talk about. Um, but these guys, you know, worked hard and have given us a lot of moments haven't reached the heights we've wanted over the last 12 years, but we've gotten to see some great performances, some great moments. And so just a hat tip to to all those guys, um, because they're what makes this thing go. We're just here talking about it. Those are the guys in the arena putting in the hard work. And I always want to make sure they know that we appreciate them first and foremost and what we talk about and, if, you know, critiquing X's and O's and individual plays that's just fodder for discussion, man. Ultimately, we're fans, and we just want to see these guys win, and we're behind them, you know, 100%. So this was, I think, a, a good a good chance to go relive some of the best moments uh, and the best players that we've had the privilege to talk about. Um, and it really is a privilege, uh, you know, to be able to, to do that because Indiana basketball is special, and a lot of the names we've talked about tonight are special people and special players. And we just need to even it out. We had the 2012, 2013, the 2016 <laughs> year, and then TJD and Jalen Hood Shafino, right? We just had like yeah. three bunches in the last 12 years uh, of stuff to pull from. But you yeah. make a good point. We talked about it when uh, we did the, the workout session with Brent, too, about how hard all of these guys work. And yep. when you have your down years, it doesn't mean that they didn't work as hard. It just didn't work. And, and there's accountability at the coaches and the players, yes, but – uh, it's always good to remember as a fan that, you know, they didn't intend to go 12 and 15. They just did. And and we'll point out why and, and, and point out where it could have been better and should have been better, but uh, too many and get times, a little frustrated uh, in the moment. No doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but, but if there's someone playing college athletics or semi-pro athletics, whatever we want to call it with this conference realignment and NIL stuff, it's not even semi-pro um, anymore, man. It's yeah. Pay you know, dudes. they're, they're they, they're putting they're putting Dream in some like serious employees. work and good to good to remember. Yep. I'm just trying to find figure out a way how I can expense all my trips out to the West Coast to assembly call expense, <laughs> you know, my flight and hotel room to cover these games. <laughs> I just can't drive, you know, to Okay. Pasadena all I have to say UCLA is the first time we, we need to be there the first time Indiana plays USC with Ryan, both in basketball and football. Those should be meetups. And obviously, he won't, basketball, he's an IU fan first. But we need to be there for I. well, I don't know. I don't know how IU-USC football is going to go. Maybe that's not one that we want to go to. But maybe, hey, maybe by that point, it'll be a, it'll be a competitive game. Who knows? But we should be at those. <laughs> those, those seem like assembly call made, uh, you know, those should be games that we're at. 
anyway, it's late. Let's get out of here, coach. Uh, All righty. <laughs> that's going to do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights, like tonight, for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. As always, we thank Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thank you to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. Thank you for listening and for being here live. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week to talk IU hoops again with you then. Uh, And until then. Take it from me, Yogi Ferrell. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Here I come, Mrs. Stansoni. It's too late. She, she can't. Yeah, I know. That's that's a problem on Thursday nights. Yeah. She's like, I used to wait up for you, but now these shows just go too long. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I was like, tonight's probably will go long. We've got we've got a fun topic. So, all right, good stuff. Thanks everybody for being here. Thanks Brad. Thanks David. Love all the comments in the chat. Greg says your starting lineup has to include the Hunter Perea you saw in that vertical jump YouTube video. Oh, yes, the movement. Recruit Hunter no one brought up the movement. <laughs> the movement. <laughs> oh, the movement. Hey, it gave us Yogi at least. Yes, it did. Uh, we'll see. All right, ya. Coach. Have a good one. See everybody. Yep. Good night, everybody. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.